Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the show. You're in the right place. Damn, guys, I didn't know my singing was that bad. Anyway, welcome back to Conversations with the Mind. You're in the right place, folks. This is a very special episode, but first I want to start off by saying thank you to all you listeners. You guys are the reason why I keep this thing going. All your feedback and comments and all that stuff when you guys come up to me and talk to me about um, some of the stuff that we talk about on the show, um, I mean, that's why I do it. I am, you know, I'm getting great feedback from you guys. So please continue to listen. That's the best way you guys can support us. Please, please, please like and share all of our posts on social media. That helps us out tremendously. Um, and if you guys find any value in these podcasts, um, there's always the option to donate. Um, not a necessity, but we are listener supported. So uh, all donations go back into the podcast for equipment and uh, to get. Uh, higher profile guests kind of out here to our studio location here in Colorado. It takes some travel expenses, things like that. So feel free to donate. There should be a link at the bottom of whatever podcast app you guys are using. Also, guys, go check out our YouTube page. It is awesome. I spent a lot of time on it. Um, so it's our MindOps YouTube page. That's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S. Uh, go to the YouTube page. I load a lot of these podcasts up there. This one is included uh, in those YouTube podcasts. Just go to the Mind Ops YouTube page, and there should be a playlist called Conversations with the Mind. That's where you'll find all the podcast uh, video component up there. Um, now, the video component doesn't contain all the extra content. So if you guys are listening on the uh app version or if you're listening on your pc or something you're getting all this extra content so please continue to listen and get that extra content also uh like i said donate if you guys find any value in this you know a couple bucks here and there really helps us out um so awesome welcome to the show guys uh something really cool that i'm going to start this week um number one um we had uh so I don't know. I have this relationship with this band from Denver, and they're called the Arturo Complex. And if you guys haven't heard of them, you should go check them out. And uh, I reached out to them after seeing them play in Denver. My wife and I went to their show, and I was just blown away by um, their musicianship and um, just really dug their sound. And so Kelly and I actually asked them to come play at our wedding and they did. We we had our wedding at uh, the Mishawaka Amphitheater here in Colorado, a beautiful venue up in the mountains. And the Arturo Complex was nice enough to come up and, and play a, a nice uh, long set for us for our wedding and all of our guests. And it was really cool, um, really cool experience. And afterwards, you know, wanted to stay in touch with those guys. So uh, I asked them if they could put together some music for the podcast and just exclusively the podcast and they were delighted to do so so uh the arturo complex wrote uh myself a few different songs um inspired by the podcast so you guys will start hearing that music in most of the episodes so i'm going to start just putting it in there and uh if you don't like the music um just fast forward through it um 
you know, there should be a little button at the bottom to fast forward 15 to 30 seconds or so. Uh, just get through that, get through the advertising advertisements. If you don't like that kind of stuff, um, you know, take the control back into your hands. This is your reality. You get to choose how you spend your time. So, uh, if you don't like all the parts of the podcast, I try and break it up into sections so that you guys can, can try and locate the content that you want. Um, anyway, welcome back to the show guys. I hope you enjoy the new music that I'm going to be inserting in there. It is all by the Arturo Complex, A-R-T-U-R-O. So if you could, go check them out on Facebook, like their stuff. Uh, I also believe they have some uh, YouTube music videos up as well. They're kind of like this cosmic, spacey-type music, but pretty awesome stuff. All right, welcome to the show, folks.
Conversations with the Mind podcast is sponsored by MindOps.com. You can find us at www.mind-ops.com. We're an eclectic counseling company providing mental health and mental performance services to individuals, small and large groups, teams, businesses, military, through face-to-face sessions or at a distance using phone or confidential video chat apps. We bring a unique Buddhist Western lens and specialize in general psychotherapy for all mental difficulties, sport and performance psychology for performance enhancement, addiction counseling for any maladaptive or destructive habits, and psychedelic integration therapy to make the most from your visionary medicine work. We are available as well for corporate workshops to address the needs of your employees' wellness. And now to the good news story. Okay, today's good news story comes from the Good News Network. You can go to goodnewsnetwork.org and find this story. It's, uh, let's see, dated September 7th, 7th, 2019. Uh, The title of the article reads, Father uses scuba therapy to restore his paralyzed son's motor function. And now it's uh, and now it's doing the same for others. This was a pretty amazing story. I'm all about alternative forms of healing and alternative forms of, um, you know, rehabilitation and things like that. Ways that we improve upon, uh, you know, people with paralysis or disabilities or, or, um, injury or, you know, what have you, any sort of malady, um, rehabilitation and therapy is, is always, an amazing and innovative science in my opinion. And, um, in this article, I was talking about, um, some trauma that this gentleman, David Lawrence, uh, experienced his 11 year old David jr. Underwent surgery on his brainstem to remove a life threatening growth. After the procedure, surgeons and doctors said that David jr. Would never walk again. So the dad, you know, stuck right by his son's side during months of grueling and agonizing physical therapy. And, uh, you know, hope was, hope was on limited supply. Um, but uh, David Sr. had been a scuba diver for many years and had this idea uh, and started looking into different water and aquatic type therapy. So he started bringing his son to the local swimming pool and they got out the gear and just started diving. And the workout uh, and the resistance that the water provided gave David Jr. the opportunity to progress much faster in his physical therapy. To the point where, um, you know, the article goes on to say, you know, fast forwards 10 years and um, David Jr. is now getting his Ph.D. at university. He walks, runs and works as a scuba instructor for his father's business. So this young man who doctors said would never walk again um, with hard work and perseverance, you know, overcame what, you know, some of the greatest medical minds maybe said about uh, his prognosis and I, I think it's just truly inspiring and shows us the potential of the human mind if you really believe that you can do something you know even when people tell you it's not physically possible um, so it goes on to talk about uh, the therapy techniques that David um, developed over the last 10 years have served to help people with disabilities and special neurological needs to improve their muscle tone, reduce pain and spasms, stand up and walk with a quad cane, and even progress to walking unassisted. Uh, furthermore, scuba therapy, therapy improves lung function, uh, 
lymphedema and boosts the lymphatic system. Um, pretty cool stuff. Uh, I was talking, talking about how a lot of their clients are now able to overcome their disabilities and get their first job ever. Um, and they say all it takes is the desire and commitment to work hard. And I'm a big believer of that. Whatever challenge comes ahead of us, it's simply a test, you know, and, you know, it's going to test our resolve and our ability to meet the challenge. Um, so they say all it takes is a desire and commitment to work hard. And uh, it takes pioneers who think outside the box, or in our case, outside the wheelchair, to bring hope back to people who've been told that there is none. I think that is really cool. Really cool story. Um, and I like that it's a longitudinal study, too, or not a study, a longitudinal article. So uh, not only talked about him and his son um, when they began the therapy process, but also fast forward to uh, 10 years and showed um, that the success in the mindset uh, that was developed by young David, David Jr. Um, he developed that mindset, that perseverance mindset, um, and it carried through into his other aspects of his life. And now he's seeking out those advanced degrees and things like that, which I know takes a lot of perseverance. And if you guys have experience in university, you guys know uh, you need a certain kind of mindset to be able to make it through and make it through successfully. So, um, congrats guys. That's awesome stuff. Okay. So onto what's been on my mind these days. So the conversation in my mind actually came after I recorded, a, uh, another podcast episode, which you guys will hear, uh, very soon after this one. Um, but this idea that we, you know, we, get on our own cases and we guilt trip each other and we guilt trip ourselves, especially um, when we identify that, you know, we're being put in boxes. What do I mean by that? Well, we put ourselves in our own boxes um, based off of the, you know, the belief systems and the values that we choose. If we don't remain flexible to new ideas, you know, we, we trap ourselves in boxes and examples of that could be, you know, take any profession. If you completely immerse yourself in your profession at the expense of acquiring knowledge from other um, valid professions that, uh, you know, have valid information, then you're limiting yourself. You're putting yourself in a box, okay? Um, you know, we do this all the time, and we're also put in boxes. We're told to believe certain things or do certain behaviors um, by society or religion or TV or whatever, so... Um, we're constantly identifying, you know, how are we limiting ourselves? How are we putting ourselves in these boxes? And a very clear theme that I've heard over the years around this idea is just that uh, if we're in these boxes, we don't want to be in the boxes. So therefore, we need to break free. We need to break these chains, break through, um, think outside the box, you know, that whole concept, break outside the box and... So the box becomes something of a target, um, something of a source of some sort of suffering, some sort of evil that is uh, imposed on us or that we are imposing on ourselves. So I got to thinking about this and it was, it actually, you know, it came from a visionary state experience. 
um, when I started thinking about these boxes that I put my own self in and, and trying to change some of those patterns and identify, you know, some of the behaviors so that I could change them. And what I came to realize was that actually I was, I, and then also, you know, what I remembered or reflected off of society was that we are constantly chastising these boxes that we're putting ourselves in. And yet it's only because of the boxes that we were able to see and achieve freedom in the first place. Okay. So stick with me here on this concept. Okay. So boxes equal some sort of jail, some sort of prison, whether it's a mental prison or a physical prison, you know, we're putting ourselves in these box shaped houses. And, you know, some studies say that, um, that is actually isolating us more and, and splitting us socially. So putting our, and then we, when we jail prisoners, we literally put them in literal boxes. So just think about boxes um, both mental boxes and physical boxes as some sort of prison, some sort of thing that you're a slave to, right? So that's the idea of the box is it keeps you trapped, keeps you trapped in that way of thinking or, or that way of doing. So boxes equal jail. So jails equal mental prisons, but also physical prisons. Um, but it also equals um, the gateway or the opening to a new freedom or a new, yeah, a new realization of freedom. So all these things are equal. If you think about an equation, right? Boxes equal jail, equal mental prisons, equal a gateway to freedom. Um, I know it's a little, so, okay, stick with me. I'm going to unpack it a little bit more. So why are we seeking to rid ourselves of the boxes? Okay. That's been our focus for a lot of, um, a lot of theories around, you know, mental performance and physical performance and, and, uh, evolution, um, of consciousness and like, how do we move the species forward and, and move ourselves forward and, and make progress in this lifetime? Uh, well, we need to break free of our, of our old ways of thinking and our boxes and move forward and, you know, break those chains. But why, why are we seeking to rid ourselves of the boxes? Um, it's only through that boxed experience that being trapped in the mindset that one can find the true freedom that awaits uh, all of us in every moment so what I mean by that is how are you going to recognize the freedom if you don't first recognize that you're in the box Right? So we shouldn't necessarily chastise the box itself. It's the box that gives us the realization in the first place that we need to get out of it. Right? So, I don't know. It's kind of where my mind's been going, and it's kind of kind of throws me back in a loop. Um, and I haven't really been able to get much further with that thought recently, but it, it just doesn't make sense um, why we why we label things even concepts as good or bad, right? Like being inside of a box is um, labeled by most of society as being a bad thing. Um, and, you know, there's there's some people that don't feel that way. You know, some people like to be in their little world and their little box, and that's great. Um, but I think the majority of people say that, you know, you can't get locked in, you got to be adaptable, you got to be creative, all these things. Um, and it's amazing how we 
qualify that with good or bad and we label it as good or bad. And that is what creates this separation, this dichotomy where, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we can't even think about the box as being, as having any potential inherently in and of itself of being a good thing. And that's what I was kind of playing with this idea that maybe it's not good or bad. The box is just the box. Okay. But the box is what first informs us that, Hey, we're trapped, you know? Um, so for instance, in Buddhist philosophy, um, samsara is this cycle of, uh, life, death, rebirth, life, death, rebirth, life, death, rebirth, over and over thousands and thousands of lifetimes until one can realize that they are in this sort of cosmic cyclical game and can remove themselves and, and reach nirvana, uh, removing themselves from this cycle of never ending suffering, uh, which is life. Um, I know it sounds more dismal, um, than it really is. It's actually quite beautiful once you dig a little bit deeper into it. Um, but that in and of itself, that concept, you know, the cycle of life, death, rebirth, life, death, rebirth, that itself is a, a box, you know, it's a, you know, it's a trap that we're caught in. We're caught in this cycle. Uh, and the box is, you know, I'm using air quotes here, box is just a representation. It's a, it's a symbolic representation of a container. And it doesn't have to be a square necessarily, right? Um, and so... Yeah, this any cycle that we're trapped in, any behavioral cycle, any addiction cycle, any cycle of negative thinking, any you know, any cycle of you know gambling or whatever, um, we're stuck in these boxes in these instances too, and you know it's through the realization that we are stuck that we're able to see, hey, maybe there may be a different way out, maybe there may be a way out to some more freedom. Um, and so the Buddhist philosophy also says, you know, you will break outside of this cycle and reach nirvana, never to come back into the cycle of life, death, rebirth. Um, it's sort of like a, an ultimate experience of oneness, uh, if you could say that. Um, but something interesting I was thinking about. Okay, so very special guest today. Uh, and I'm so very happy to be able to put this podcast out to you guys today. You're going to love it. Um, this is a good friend of mine, um, Mr. Christopher Jimenez. And I haven't known Chris for that long, um, but that's kind of how things work in jiu-jitsu is that, uh, you know, you don't really know people. You don't have to know people for more than a month or two uh, worth of training on the mat in this physical contact, uh, very intimate, uh, not in a sexual or, you know, anything like that, but, you know, very intimate because you're in close proximity. You're literally, you know, sweating on each other and wrestling and, um, you know, trying to rip each other's arms off and choke each other unconscious. And, um, you know, you're simulating, um, death and things like that and, and overcoming those kind of threats, on a daily basis, many, many times. And so when you do that, you bond extremely uh, close and extremely quickly with people that you share that kind of um, intimate ego shattering. And, you know, you're overcoming fears on a daily basis with each and every person on that mat together. You're doing it as a team and you're all growing individually, but you're using each other. You're using the group energy. Uh, and it's so freaking awesome. Um, 
But this guy that you guys are about to hear, he's a good friend of mine. Chris, um, I haven't known him like for a long time. Like I said, he only started training with us, I think, early 2019. And, um, and yeah, he's very active on the mat and very active uh, in competition and things like that. So we're very happy to have him. Um, Chris is a gamer which we're going to get into a little bit in the podcast. I don't have much experience with gaming beyond, you know, my old, uh, I think Nintendo 64 was the, 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 the last time I had a gaming system. But we talk about gaming, we talk about um, Greek mythology, uh, you know, he talks about his love of fables and stories, um, his consumption of stories, things like that. Um and we talk about, you know, how he brings connection uh, to people and lights up other people's lives uh, by making them smile. And also literally in his job, uh, in his, you know, day-to-day work job, he literally brings electricity to people, which is really cool. And we talk about a lot of cool things. Uh, one of my favorite topics um, that I don't talk about enough and I don't engage enough and that I really liked uh, talking with Chris about today was humor and how we can use humor um, more often, you know, I wanted to pick his brain on how I can, uh, not be funnier. I think I'm pretty funny, you know, when I speak up, uh, at, a, at the opportune times, it's all about timing. I, I, from what I hear, but, um, yeah, it's something I've always wanted to get better. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. It was a really good one. Uh, it's a nice long one for you guys, so hopefully it lasts you a couple of days. We're going to get the next podcast out probably in a week or so. Uh, we got a couple good ones coming up. And uh, again, hope you guys enjoy all the new features, all the new segments in the podcast, and the new quality of the podcast. We've been using all the new mics and new soundboard and everything. Uh, so, hope you guys like it. Let us know. Uh, let us know if there's any... Uh, specific topics you guys want us to talk about or uh, let us know you know hey that uh that podcast the other day was kind of squeaky or i heard this in the background or um you know i'm always looking to improve and you know i'm trying to teach myself how to do this so all right well let's get on with the show guys here we go conversations with the mind with your host shane lamaster and special guest chris jimenez peace with interesting people. Our mission is to engage the collective mind piece by piece to bring greater clarity of mind to our listeners locally and across the planet and to contribute to broaden the shared experiential knowledge and wisdom of existence. All right, folks, this is Conversations with the Mind, episode 54. I'm your host, Shane Lamaster, and we're here with very special guest, Christopher Jimenez, how are you, sir? I'm great. How are you doing? Good. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you perfect. Okay. Try and come a little bit closer. Oh, can do. Yeah, cool. 
Um, or maybe I can turn up your volume here a little bit. All right, so this is the first episode, obviously, that we are using the new audio equipment, which is really exciting. Yeah, and that's awesome. Uh, yeah, thanks. You like the studio? Oh, I love it. I wish I had just all these like foam stuff on my walls at home. Uh, would it help? Yeah, because you uh, you stream your video game stuff, right? Yeah, I would like to do a little more often than I do now, but I like to do that kind of stuff. Nice. Um, okay, so first question, I just got to get it out of the way, and this is the uh, same question I give everybody. Um, what does conversations with the mind mean to you? I, I mean, as a phrase, uh, as an idea, what sort of pops inside of your head when you hear that? Okay. Um, so conversation with the mind, uh, I feel like our, as a you know, person, our our minds are just full of perspective, and that's from your different parts of your body, because um, all all your sensor sensory stuff comes from all around you, touch, taste, sight, all that kind of stuff, and uh, what it means to me is this when it's just accumulation of all that information from your body to your mind, and it just tells you where you are on on earth pretty much so if i like close my eyes it's like okay i'm i'm in like my mind's telling me you're in the dark you know and with all like everything else coming at you at one time that's when my mind like this is like they're they're conversating with each other meaning like your my hand is touching the table and it's also telling me that i see the table and it just kind of accumulates to that kind of stuff. Does that mm, make sense? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know I can go with like a circle with it too. Did you hear that? Yeah, I did. Okay, yeah, I did. cool. <laughs> I tried out these new buttons. I meant to push this one. <laughs> oh no, this. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, well, my idea was that bad, huh? Um, no. That's a long laugh. Yeah, it is. Holy cow, that's a good joke. Good job. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, no, that's my new soundboard. But uh, I love that you talk about, um, you know, you bring the body into it and the senses. Uh, but the way you talk about it is so interesting because you're not, I mean, you're talking about an accumulation of all these separate senses, right? Mm -hmm. So each one is a separate conversation that it's having. Uh, you know, maybe it goes into the brain computer and has like this interface and then the brain somehow makes sense of all these things exactly, together. Yeah. And that's the conversation between each and each one of these uh, individual voices, I guess, mm, right? Yeah. And I love that you bring in the body because one of my favorite things to talk about um, when it comes to therapies or uh, spiritual growth or personal development is the body-mind connection. And I don't think a lot of people really talk about that. Mm. We, we sort of talk about the mind and the body most of the time as like two separate things. And yeah. when we're talking about it, we're focused on one or the other. Uh, there's not enough emphasis sometimes on the connection between the two and what that means and like how that happens. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what it reminded me of when you're talking about it. Like you have all these senses and everybody can connect with that. And then like, well, how does that manifest into meaning for mm -hmm. us? And how do we respond to that yeah. and things like that? And so that's awesome. It's that just, for me, that's I learned the best by hearing it and doing it. And because it comes from your, your mind, gets the information of how to do something from do two different perspectives. Like if someone was telling me how to do this in a video game, I can hear it, but if I see it, I get two different perspectives. I'm like, okay, I have a better understanding. And so it enhances. Exactly. With every sense that you incorporate into the interpretation, it enhances your ability to make sense. Yeah, it 
helps me understand it better. Right. So that brings up the idea or the question that I have for you. Like, so we we know our big five senses, right? Mm-hmm. Sight, touch, smell, taste, and sound. Mm-hmm. Um, we know of some lesser known, uh, not lesser known, but everyone experiences these and they're named actually, but most people don't know the names of these things and I don't even know them off the top of my head. We could look them up if we wanted, but like your sense of time, your sense of your body and space, mm-hmm. your sense of balance, yeah. you know, all these things have names to them and they're uh, sensory, you know, they're based in sensory organs too, just like touch and taste and all these things. Um, so incorporating those too help with meaning. Yeah. Do you think like there might be any senses that we have capable in our body that maybe we haven't tapped into or that maybe we've forgotten how to tap into those kind of senses that if we did, maybe it would greatly enhance our ability to move through the world? I don't think that there's a sensory that we for, like not forgot how to use. I just think that we forget to use that sense in general and taking that information and adding it to the, uh, just like what more, you know, like the more, you know, like it's kind of hard to say, um, like how we use that sensory, like that information that we get mm-hmm. from our mind. I feel like people just like, Oh, well it's cold. You know, you, you put on a jacket if it's cold. Uh, I feel like some people just forget to do some of those kind of easy things. I don't like with, we just have a balance. Some people are just clumsy, I guess. And they mm-hmm. don't, Oh, if I do this, this will make me clumsy, but they don't help them not be clumsy. I don't know how to, it's really hard to put it in words. But you did say like, there's a, like senses that we might have forgotten, right? That yeah, are, I mean, or that we don't use. Yeah, we don't so use. So we don't practice them enough until exactly. like, like you, you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. Well, it's like, if you don't use it enough. You forget to use, like use it from your mind. So, what do you think some of those senses are that we maybe don't use? Um, hmm. like what about common sense? Oh, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> I know like, a lot of people yeah. that don't use common sense. I see it every day. You just go to Walmart and you just stand in one place. Yeah, and see just, it. Like what? Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of one that I, I personally don't use enough, and I'm not trying to say that I use all my senses. I'm just probably forgetting some, like you said, like there's probably a sense that I don't use enough and I forgot how to use it mm. in that sense. So I think it's possible that we, well, I read this and I mentioned on the podcast before, there's this anthropologist I read about who, who studied ancient cultures and there's legends of, uh, human beings having over 300 different senses. Um, wow. Right. And now yeah, we, right. And now we can only usually name five. I mean, mm-hmm. you ask anybody on the street, they can only name five or maybe mm-hmm. six, but, um, but yeah, that we used to have over 300, uh, if it was like 340 or something like that. And, um, and that makes me wonder, like, you know, we haven't changed genetically that much since those times. Therefore those senses should still be in there, mm-hmm. but somehow we've been, uh, maybe conditioned out of it because of culture or society, or maybe, um, we've just forgotten. Um, you know, I heard the other day on another podcast that, that we might be losing some of our, um, senses or, or ability to move through the world because our focus is being diverted more towards other things. So now we're devoted more towards like online 
type communication and uh, Definitely. diversion of energy, right? And now people are losing their ability to go out in the world and actually be social with human beings face to face. We're 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 losing our ability to read facial expressions and social cues and things like that in favor of other senses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like that can be uh, a sense of touch. You know, some people, you can put your hand on their shoulder and someone can mistake it for, you know, uh, you know, comfort or an attack. Mm. You know, some people just don't have that social interaction, like you said. And that is actually pretty scary to not know someone's facial expressions in a conversation. Totally. Yeah. Yes. And uh, that is a good point. Uh, we're, especially where, you know, we have... They said, well, who said it, 300? Yeah, I don't remember his name. He was an anthropologist, oh, okay. a PhD. I would just, I also feel like that could be like a sensory overload for some people. And it's like, okay, I have to kind of like, it's kind of like that, uh, you know, you have a secret power of reading people's minds. Mm. And, it, you know, when they, a person gets that power for the first time, they get like so overloaded with people's thoughts that they, they go crazy or they can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't know what to do with 300 senses. Right, and that's, and that's some of the senses that, that he was uh, maybe saying were could have been possible, like levitation could have been a thing mm-hmm. back in the day, or um, telepathy. Yeah. Right before language was even a thing, we might have had a sense to – oh, that was that was part of the conversation I heard the other day too. Is like because we rely so much on verbal language, we've lost a lot of our uh, ability to communicate non-verbally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because we rely so much on it, but it's so um, it doesn't doesn't do any right. We're having a tough time describing things using language. It doesn't exactly, do justice yeah. to concepts. Right? Yeah. It's, you know, uh, I feel like the more time you spend with somebody, you know, you can look at them like, you know, and you know exactly what they're thinking. Right. Thing. So it could just be more of that, uh, the sense of being around people. Yeah. You know, kind of like that, where your body is in space. But if you don't, if you don't use it, you lose that. I guess so. If you're not, if you don't put yourself around people, you're not going to gain the ability to. You can't gain the ability to be social from a book. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. improve your ability, but mm-hmm. you have to go out and practice. It's like, it. you know, we both do jujitsu. If right. I just sit in a room watching jujitsu videos, it doesn't mean I necessarily know how to do them. Nope. Exactly. <laughs> you have to go out there and do it. Yeah, I love going sometimes to like uh, when we go watch fights at bars and stuff. And I'm I'm always sober, so I get to hear the interesting conversations of like drunk people around. It's not our table, but like yeah. other people watching, and uh, you hear those uh, those armchair warriors who are sitting there, and they're like, "I've been watching the UFC since the first one, and I know exactly what I'm talking about." I'm like, "Hey, bro, do you where do you train?" He's like, "I don't train." It's like, "Okay, <laughs> in my garage." Yeah, you <laughs> you know what back. you're doing. <laughs> Right. No. Until and you know that too now from experience that until you feel it, until you've had it done on you by somebody else, like you, you're not gonna grasp the physics behind it or the. You have to know the endpoints of these joints, right? You have to feel it on someone else. Be like, okay, this is where the joint stops. Mm -hmm. If I push it any further, it's gonna do damage, and it's important to know that. Yeah, and it's just that's like I said, like how I learn in in everything, pretty much. It's like if I. Or my job, where I have to dig. There's a wrong way to dig, mm. you know. And sometimes people tell me like, "Hey, you need to dig this way," and I'm like, "Show me." Like, and it's just what jujitsu. Mm. It's where you need to know the beginning and the end point, and then have it done to yourself so you know how it feels like. Yeah. And that's where my conversation goes when someone's on me, and it's like, "Okay, I need to do this." <laughs> mm. That's and, good. Yeah. No, that's where your mind should be is on the task, right? It mm-hmm. should be on. 
what do I need to do to make my situation better? Mm-hmm. Because most people will make the mistake, and it's natural too. Uh, I did too at the beginning. When you get sat on for the first time, it, your mind doesn't go, where, what do I need to do to get out? But it's like, oh, God, this sucks. This I'm going to die. I need to make this stop. Right. Yeah. So your mind goes and focuses only on the aspect of pain or discomfort. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen anyway. Yeah. Your thinking about it is not going to make it better. Mm-hmm. Therefore, what will make it better is getting out, and you should be thinking on what's going to help you get yeah, out, right? Exactly. So that's what that's a lot of what jiu-jitsu teaches you, too, is learning to be comfortable in the uncomfortable, right? So mm-hmm. someone will put heavy pressure on you. Yeah. You know, me or Joe will drive this shoulder justice into your face, <laughs> and you'll, you'll have that thought, like, what do I need to do to get out of here? And then you do it, right, and you get out. That translates over into your everyday life now. Now when you're getting the shoulder of justice from life and you're feeling like you're just getting your face smashed to the ground, now you're like, okay, I'm not dying. Yeah. Where do I focus? Do I focus on how bad it's making me feel? No. I focus mm-hmm. on what is it, what's going to get me out of this position. Yeah. And usually that gives you, a, you know, kind of a not necessarily escape, but since they're so focused on their shoulder being in your face, it's like, all right, let me just go sneak around here mm-hmm. kind of thing. So opportunities right sad yeah sometimes there's some baiting too yeah exactly so you may you want to make someone think that this is yeah. what you want and then you're actually doing something or, you else. know like say it's comf- uncomfortable because it is mm-hmm. and make them think that hey this is so uncomfortable i have to do this and that's your bait exactly it's not that bad exactly <laughs> so i have this book behind me um it's uh what is it anatomy of martial arts and pressure points and i i try and study and incorporate those type of things into my jujitsu too, even though those things aren't really taught too much, yeah. but, but little things that are legal and totally valid, you know, on the street, they would work, whatever. Um, but li- little things like if you need somebody to move, if you want somebody to shrimp away from you because you want to catch a Kimura and trap the head, right. Uh, but they're just not creating enough distance for you to be able to do that. Like dig your little, your little knuckle like into their rib. No one right? likes that. No, no one likes that. They want to move, <laughs> like, right? Oh, stop that. Yeah. And so they move into a position that you want them yeah. and you take advantage. Mm-hmm. There's some people would say that's dirty, some people wouldn't. It's I think it's totally valid. I mean, happens if it happens in real life on the street, mm-hmm. for sure you can use that. Right? So yeah. Even worse things, right? I mean I've had, you know, I haven't had like fingers in my eyes, but definitely, you know, a palm in your face. Totally. Ever, you know, we're I've had someone to put their mouth over my mouth so I can't breathe through my mouth. Your hand over their hand. Their hand over <laughs> you said your mouth over your my mouth. My mouth over the hand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, their hand over my mouth. And it's, you know, it's uncomfortable, sure, but you just find ways to use that to your advantage. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so you learn that being uncomfortable is not the end of the world. Yeah. That uh, you're going to be okay. Just got to figure out a way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think a lot of people miss out on that uh, who don't do jujitsu, mm-hmm. you know. And honestly, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they go through life just dealing with everyday problems without some kind of challenge like that that, that tests them. Mm-hmm. And like I said, with the, the sensories, I mean, I can see what what their hands are doing, right? But I can't necessarily see their feet. So that's mm-hmm. why I use my, you know, my foot. Know, gain information and that's like you're always conversating with my mind your mind at that point mm-hmm. you're always receiving information so that's what i like to do that's what it means to me anyway nice I'm with the mind when i use it every day like you said it's like i don't understand how people do it or don't don't do it mm-hmm. and i think it leads to uh, a boring life sometimes because you're not using your whole body your 
capacity of learning and doing. Mm-hmm. And probably the reason why I started jiu-jitsu in the first place. So It sounds like you've had experience with the other side of it where you're not paying attention to the uh, different conversations going on or, or maybe some of the conversations are ruling your life rather than you kind of dictating. Yeah, exactly. Instead of using the information, they're just leading me. I guess. Like, Automatically. Yeah, exactly. It's You're like a slave to them almost. Yeah. Huh. It's like, um, I mean, necessarily like addiction, I guess, could feel that, could be that way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're you're dependent on this sense, the sensory part of your body. You need it all the time where it's leading your actions instead of in a positive way, I guess. Have you ever had an addiction? No. 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 I'm, I'm not, I don't really use drugs or drink alcohol, so. I mean, that's not the only form of addiction. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I could be, I could say I was addicted to video games, mm-hmm. you know, you know uh, at one point in time where I was like, okay, I'm done with work, time to play video games mm. kind of thing. And I can make up a whole bunch of excuses for that, but it's probably an, addic- an addiction in, in itself. So Sure. But you've experienced that that kind of mindset where you're not, like where you're not engaging your yeah. potential. Mm-hmm. So jujitsu for you, even from the beginning, it sounds like, like you were searching, you were looking mm-hmm. for something to bring the best out in you. Mm-hmm. So what, what drove you to jujitsu? Like why not pick up painting or um, something oh. <laughs> or gymnastics? Well, or something? I, mean, I do love learning. That is one thing. Um, Come a little closer. Oh, sorry. No, I do love learning. Um, so when I, when I first, saw any form of jiu-jitsu, like Mel would always practice on me when she first started. And I was like, oh, I don't want you to do this on me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I've never seen it from another perspective. I've always been the the person being used as the mm-hmm. tool, you know, to learn something. And it's like, okay, that's that's okay. Uh, but when I, I think it was the first time I saw uh, Mel's tournament, her first tournament, and I met some you know, the guys at the gym. I was like, so this is what, you know, it's all about. And I was like, okay, I can get this. This is why you keep coming back. I was like, I can understand that. So, you know, it took me a while, but then I finally joined. Um, But when I first started, it was like, okay, I can really, because it is, I'm being shown what the move is, like a move in class. I'm being told what the move is verbally, and then I get to spend, you know, however long on the move. Mm -hmm. So it really goes through all the senses for me that I like to learn. And so it's not just sitting in a classroom and I'm watching a PowerPoint. And, you know, it's just that for me, that's boring. Mm-hmm. Right? I like, I'm not messing with it in my hands. I'm not, I'm not there with it. Um, so that's, that's why I like jujitsu a lot is I'm my, my hands on. Do you think that's why you're drawn to the type of work you do too? It's very um, physical. It is very physical. And I feel like even before I did this job, I worked in science and it was a very, uh, you had to be very uh, accurate with the job. And, and fine at some points because if you're laying down vinyl, you know you can't just like fling it around. It's if it once it's, it's it's set, it's there for for a while if you do it right. And both things, you know, I'm working with my hands. I just like working with my hands with anything. Mm-hmm. So because I'm I'm actively in it. I'm not just watching a screen. Um, I'm doing something. Yeah, makes sense. So, but Mel Mel was a martial artist before she met you, right? Yeah, she did judo when she was a lot younger okay yeah um and then you guys got together and did she only start practicing jujitsu on you after she started at our gym or yes okay did she ever practice judo on you before no she she didn't show you anything um the first time uh she used to go to a gym just to lift weights and do cardio and then uh, she's like i want to want to punch things (laughs) like all right so we went to a boxing gym and it was just punching bags it was just kind of like a cardio workout mm-hmm. in a sense. And she's like, I actually want to hit people. 
I was like, okay, you know, if that's what you want to do, go ahead. And then that's where she found the Seas Gym. So nice. And then that's when she also started doing jujitsu because it, she wanted to do MMA, and jujitsu is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. So that's when she would come home, like, I want to do a new move to you. I'm like, uh, it would involve her foot in my face. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't understand this. But it was effective, right? It was, yeah. It would, I'm like, okay. And she's like, uh, you have to tap, by the way, when you're uncomfortable. I was like, I'm already uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but now you love it. Oh, yeah. Now I love it. Yeah. 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 A lot of, it's, it's easy to fall in love with if, uh, if you have an open mind and you're open to, um, growing through not, the easiest way mm-hmm. you know it's definitely not easy but it's fun as hell man it definitely is fun and you know some people are like why do you like doing that kind of stuff especially for the work that i do um it'll be from seven to six sometimes where i'll just be in the hot sun in the dirt mm-hmm. all day and like, are you gonna go to jujitsu i was like of course i am like why you know you spend all day in the sun it's like well it's kind of hard to explain when you don't do it you know and First of all, I have the family there, which, you know, it's kind of like an accountability thing. It's like, hey, I'm going to keep you here because you want to grow too, mm-hmm. and you want to forget that. But you get the discipline, you, you know, if, if you go in there, you get to learn. And then, like I said, that's something I like to do is learn. So if I can do that, why not? Sure. Yeah. So you're active all day, then you go do an active thing afterwards. I, uh, I took a seminar once way back in the day. Uh, I hope I get this guy's name right. He was an ex-pro MMA fighter. I think his name was Jeff Jimmo. People can Google that. Um, but he came to this Krav Maga school that I was teaching at. And uh, he gave this seminar, and he said something that always stuck with me and it made me feel really good about putting forth the effort like that. He... You know, because he was a pro fighter, and that he made his money fighting, and he made his money giving seminars, and that's just all he did. And he looked at all of us in the group, and he said, you guys are the real heroes. You guys are the people that I look up to because you guys do full-time jobs. You guys raise kids. You guys go to school full-time, and you do this. Uh, you still train every single day. That I don't think I could do. He's like, all I do is train. I don't think I could do a job and train, but you guys do it. You guys are my heroes. So that always stuck with me. I don't remember mm-hmm. any of the yeah. move, any of the moves he taught me that day, <laughs> but um, but I remember what he said that day, and th- that made the seminar all worth it. Is remembering that, you know, I get to do this. Uh, I might not be able to do just this, mm-hmm. but I get to, and other people don't have the luxury of doing that. Um, so it's hard some days. It's hard yeah. some days when you've had a long day. Yeah, and I think. Jiu-Jitsu has become so part of me and Mel's life where we actually we form around that schedule. It's like uh, like Mel was talking about jobs. and goes, if I can't if I can't get off at 5.30, I'm not going to take that job because she wants to go to MMA and Jiu-Jitsu. Mm-hmm. And like I said, if I get off at 6, yeah, I'm going to be super tired, but I'm going to try my best to go to Jiu-Jitsu. You know? and if I miss, you know, because like you guys said, that my, my only job is to make it to class. It doesn't matter if I do well in the class that day because I could be totally tired, but I'm there. I'm ready. You know, I, I've made the effort to come to class. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people aren't even, you know, willing to do that. It's just, I'm like, why not? It's just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a thing in sports psychology um, 
where it talks about these, you know, these famous studies that, uh, that were done a long time ago, and they've been kind of bastardized and put out in the media. So the general public knows about this concept of 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours of practice will make you an expert in pretty much anything. Wow. But it's a very dumbed-down version of what's accurate. And so these studies did find that 10,000 hours was about the average for someone to gain mastery in something. Um, oh, my soundproofing's falling off. Uh-oh. I need to... <laughs> Place all like a bug or something. apart, earthquake. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I need to put some more tape on this thing, something stronger. Um, okay, so... So yeah, 10,000 hours was a thing, and they, I think they were testing it on uh, musicians, so okay. like violinists, pianists, yeah. things like that, and then also some physical. <laughs> <laughs> you tried. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but what, uh, what didn't get translated over to the general public is that it's not just 10,000 hours, but it's 10,000 hours of intentional practice. So you have to be um, – Practicing with full intention, full focus, full mindfulness, um, not intoxicated, like all these all these standards, right, in order to be fully present. And that that was the standard for the 10,000 hours, 10,000 hours of intentional practice. And you'll hear that from some life coaches and stuff. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's this thing where uh, in sports psychology, this little debate that – um, 10,000 hours of intentional practice is all good and well, but just showing up is still beneficial, mm-hmm. right? It might not count towards like your, your hour and a half class of tired training might not count towards an hour and a half yeah, of exactly. intentional, yeah. Yeah. but it might count towards half an hour mm-hmm. towards that. And it's also a strong practice in um, like mental toughness and drive because you don't want to go on those days. You don't want to yeah. go when you're tired. You don't want to keep going. Exactly. But, but when you force yourself to do it, that's another uh, opportunity that you just said, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit on myself in this moment. I'm still going to go. Even though I might not get much from it, I'm going. That that just helped you. Yeah. So the next time you're in the tournament and you feel like I'm, I could give up here, mm-hmm. you're not going to. Exactly. And uh, that makes me excited for my next tournament, my first tournament, I should say, but also just very nervous. <laughs> so this is going to be your first one? It'll be my first this one. This weekend? Yep. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to be able to be there, but That's okay. it's going to be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sub-only one, mm-hmm. so uh, it's not your usual five-minute rounds. It'll be ten-minute rounds. Ten-minute rounds, yeah. even for the white belts? Yeah. Okay. So that's why when you, you say, like, I could be, I could give up right now, like, I'm tired, but I'm not going to. As long as I, I'm, I'm not submitted, I can keep going. Mm-hmm. That's the, the drive, hopefully. Man, and everybody gets tired in there, mm-hmm. too. Just like in life, everybody gets tired. Yeah. Um, what I like to remind myself, something that keeps me going when I get tired, even in training, too, uh, I like these little mantras that I tell myself because they have so much power, you know, and I, I tell myself, uh, the other guy's always more tired than me. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. so even, no matter how tired, I may feel, be so tired, like I'm going to die, and I'm just like... Literally feeling that way, I always tell myself, that guy's even more tired. Yeah. You know, and it always, it always gives me just a little bit more. Or even when we're running sprints or whatever, I'm like, I'm tired as hell. But those guys are more tired. tired yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot who it was that said it last night at the fight. Um, when your coaches say they're tired, you know, they might not be tired, but it gives you kind of that push, like, oh, he's tired. I need to finish this kind of thing. It gives you that push to keep going. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, it's definitely a mental thing, and I like that. I like that mantra. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to use it Saturday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that one, uh, as well as uh, you know, when you're training, um, I like to remind myself, and you don't feel like going to train. Mm-hmm. I, rem- I like reminding myself, um, I'm doing more than my opponent is right now to train for the tournament. Oh, right. So there's a pool of people that you're going to compete against, just like in life. There's a pool of people that you're competing against mm-hmm. for jobs and yep. stuff. Um, but yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you tell yourself, I'm, I'm doing more than they are to prepare, mm-hmm. then not only is your confidence going to be up, but you can give it that extra gear in training and be like, fuck yeah, yeah. man. I'm going to push harder than these guys are ever are going to in the tournament. That's true. Mm-hmm. I like that perspective thing, too, because, you know, it's just, I'm a big perspective guy, what somebody else is thinking or why they did those actions kind of thing. It's like, you know, uh, you said, oh, that person's probably tired. You know, I could be out working and, man, I'm tired. But so are my coworkers. So mm-hmm. let's get this job done so mm-hmm. you can get out here quicker and relax mm-hmm. kind of thing. It kind of gives you that drive rather than I'm tired and you just kind of soak in that, you know, that, that, that mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even in class, you know, everybody's tired. Yeah. <laughs> You're not the only one. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, just look around and be like, okay, I'm not the only one suffering. Yeah, yeah. We're all in this together. And, you know, like you said, there's other people who go to work, have a hard hard day's work, and they go to class, and mm-hmm. they're just as tired as I am, or just, even more. Yep. But they're there, so it kind of inspires me to keep going, too. Yeah, nice. And it's your it's your playground for your senses. It is. It definitely is, for sure. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, so the tournament coming up. What are you excited about? What are you nervous about? Um, I'm excited just to do the tournament in itself because, like I said, I like to learn things, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean I like to compete in those things that I've learned. So this will be kind of the test, like, hey, do I do it because I like the, the learning and, like, just what I'm doing, or do I, you know, I want to take it further and, you know, compete. So... Uh, so you're kind of sorting through, like, w- what your motives are. Yeah, exactly. Like, am I going in to have fun? Am I going in to learn? Am I going in to, like, go for gold? Am yeah. I going in, yeah. It could be all, be all of those things. Sure. You know, uh, it just, some people have said, you're either going you're gonna to hate it or you're going to love it. And, but the thing is that even if you hate it, you learn so much from the experience. Mm-hmm. Because there's, you know, you're, you don't see everyone in that tournament every day. You know, I, I, I'll see you in class multiple times a week. And I'll roll with you multiple times a week. But with these guys, I'll, I may roll with them once in a lifetime. And they might have taught me something really important. And I'd miss out on the opportunity if I didn't do the tournament kind of mm. thing, you know. So it just gives you that more just more experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for that. Nice. Um, I am nervous, though. I am very nervous. <laughs> so what what's uh, nervous about it? Um, I mean, just competing. Uh, I'm not a sort of loser in any any sense, Early, but I don't know. It's just being on the mat. So, what is it? What is it about competing? Is it a, is it the uh, the test of yourself that's, I mean, that's nerve wracking? Like, I guess that would be it. Cause, like, if you don't live up to your own expectations of yourself. Yeah, I mean, I can say I'm good, but it doesn't necessarily mean I am good. You know? Right? It could be a really humbling experience, oh, or yeah. it could be a surprising experience. Like, whoa, I knew more than I did. So, the humbling piece is kind of scary. I wouldn't say it's scary. It's just I, I, I wish I knew like more like what I can, what can I do. And that's why I also mm. to kind of like 
when I'm going there. Sure. You know, that'll teach me what I can do. It will, and, uh, yeah, show you what you're capable of, and like where you stack up. Yeah, and it's also uh, the the weight, um, uh, the divisions, I guess, mm-hmm. are are very spread out. It's two hundred six to two thirty six, mm-hmm. um, because usually I guess sub moldings are a lot smaller tournaments, so there, there could be I could face some kind of right in the middle too, so I can go someone who's you know, weighs less than me or more than me and. I'll so you're like two twenty something. I'm two fifteen. Two fifteen. Yeah. So you're on the lower end of that uh, weight class. Yeah. Just by, by, by fifteen. A yeah. Um, so you're yeah a little bit nervous about the size differences. Um, that's what's beautiful about jujitsu though is it's it's built for the smaller yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. Um, but no, I totally get that. You know, I I had to wrestle against some pretty big guys too. Yeah. Um, and Z, I mean Z's Z, that tell yourself that, right? <laughs> yeah. Z is bigger than all these guys that you're yeah. going to go against. Yeah. No guy in this thing is going to be as as big or as tough as Z. And if you have fun going with him, you're going to have fun yeah. going. And then with that's him. the thing is, is, you know, remind myself that I'm, I'm there for fun. You know, it's going to be fun. It's yeah. going to be a good experience. So. Yeah. yeah, you're going into it with the right attitude and with that bit, you know, concentrating on the fun part and the learning. Um, it's going to certainly lessen the blow. Um, it's not going to take it away. Yeah. I can't promise you yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> it still sucks to lose, um, yeah. but it lessens the blow when you realize the greater importance, the deeper understanding, the learning, yeah. right? And um, I tell you what, man, like almost everybody that I've ever competed against has uh, has become my friend after a match, right? Oh, yeah. So definitely every pro match that I've had mm-hmm. um, have become uh Friends, acquaintances, Facebook friends, whatever, but also the people in the tournaments too. And you see them a couple times a year, yeah. and and then you go train at their school with them, and uh, you know it's it becomes it starts as a competition between schools, but then eventually it turns into like welcome to this larger brotherhood of yeah, jujitsu. We're all like learning together, exactly. You know, and I think that's really cool as well, because like, you know we're all you know I'll be competing against white belts, and we're both just still we're still learning. We're still mm-hmm. our, you know our baby steps into the journey that we're going to have mm-hmm. in jiu-jitsu. So it's just, if I do lose, it's like, wow, that person is like really, you know, trying to learn jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. and that's awesome. You know, it just, I like to see the fire in people's eyes when it comes to like new things to them. So it's, Hey, more to, you know, if it, if I, if I lose and it gives you more motivated, you know, good for you mm-hmm. kind of thing. So do you put any like uh, added pressure on yourself for competing, you said you're not one to usually compete in things that you do. Um, do you put extra pressure to win on yourself? Um, I mean, everyone likes winning, of course. Sure. Um, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't try to say unnecessary pressure because that would just make me more nervous. Yeah, and, it totally. Yeah, would. yeah and uh, stiff. You get in there like, okay, I need to, I need to get in there and win. It's like, oh, I want to get in there and have fun and learn at the same time too. And if you have so much pressure on yourself, you kind of forget that reason why you're there in the first place. Yeah. And so, uh, when I have pressure on myself and Mel can see it, like, Oh, he's, he's nervous. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you're gonna go there and kick their butts. And I'm like, I appreciate the support, you know, and everyone says that too. It's just, it's just awesome to have that. It's like, okay, I can breathe, you know, take some of that pressure off me and go in there and have fun. Yeah. And it's the same thing in open, open mat. I could be nervous going against somebody else, but you just get comfortable. Mm-hmm. And some people have uh, described tournaments as, oh, it's just open mat, but with scoring. That's what it is. Yeah. It's, it's open mat between gyms. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. Um, and then you might walk away with some cool hardware. Yeah. And uh, I chose a sub only because I like the more the technical stuff with it. I don't want to, 
I feel like five minutes, you have to force things sometimes your own way mm. rather than wait for an opportunity like, oh, I can do this because he reached over mm-hmm. my pill or something. You like can that. take your time. Exactly. And um, I just don't want to really always reach for points. That's something I didn't, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't enjoy about that part of regular tournaments. Mm-hmm. Is that you always have to like get your points, then go for submission. I was like, I just want to just do the technical stuff and get to that submission rather than, oh, I won by points. And like, I mean, some people are all for that. That's okay. Sure. I just for my my uh, my taste is I like to get the submission. Yeah, and there's you know there's something to be said about that too. Um, you know those longer fights way back in the day, like uh, there was this fight between uh, I don't even remember which Gracie it was and some Japanese dude that lasted like ninety minutes. Like, it was like the whole pay per view fight or something like that. I don't even know if it was okay. Pay- it was probably before pay per view. Oh, okay. I think. Uh, like this ninety-minute fight that the or it was it was unlimited time. Okay, know, yeah, back go then, to right. tap, yeah. right? <laughs> and it lasted like ninety minutes and just nonstop. Um, but there's some advantage to taking your time for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think you see that too. And and uh, but I don't know the the different point systems are are interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, even in my in my jujitsu in the gym in open mat, um, there's instances where like I will sacrifice my back i'll yeah. give my back up to someone because again i'm baiting someone exactly because i want you to take my back because i already have the escape plan so that when you make your move i'm out the back door exactly. and on and on your back or yeah. on your leg or something right so um in a tournament i can't do that i can't sacrifice position mm-hmm. in order to set something up if that thing fails then i just got i just gave up points yeah. right whereas mm-hmm. in submission only I can play my game more pure to what my style is. Exactly. Uh, take my time. Um, if I want to finish fast, finish fast. I yeah. mean, sometimes if I have a big bracket, I want to finish the first few people fast mm-hmm. so that I, I can more conserve energy. energy yeah, and right? they're more tired because they were fighting just as hard. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I like I like I like your philosophy on it. Um, I'm just a very patient person when it mm-hmm. comes to like if I'm in if I have someone on my guard, I'll let, I'll see what they're going to do for a little bit. And then once they give me an arm, it's like, okay, I'll try try this. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I know all the moves, obviously, because I'm just a white belt. Mm-hmm. But that's just like the way I like to to roll mm-hmm. and not be constrained just to time. Are you like that in your everyday life? Like you take your time with uh, everyday decisions and things like that? or I am definitely go with the flow okay. in my mind. Um, but if I do the big decision, you know, I just, I think I try, I try to think of all the uh, different ways to approach that. Mm-hmm. And, uh and not try to make a an irrational or sped up decision or a rush decision mm-hmm. because that can just lead to more problems. Sure. <laughs> no. So that's what you learn at shoot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You make a quick snap decision and you find yourself in worse place. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, I need to do this. It's like, no, I need to do this instead, even if it's a long way. You know, uh, he always, you, know, like you need to do, the, I know they're small steps and they're tedious, but they're important in the end. And so just how I make a decision, it's like, okay, just. Take a half day um, to think about it, but there's also you know some decisions like you need to do it now. Right. So when you're making decisions, like big, even small decisions, there should be a process, right? Yeah, like exactly. A, like a step by step. It may be conscious, maybe unconscious, pro- but there mm-hmm. should be a process. There should yeah. be a pause for you to be able to run through the simulations, mm-hmm. run through the scenarios, and be like, what is the best course of action? How's this going to affect? My spouse, or the rest of my life, or whatever, you know, before making those decisions. Yeah. Everyone has a choice. It just depends on what choice, you know. And people think they only have one. 
And then they do that one choice, and you're like, uh oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the wrong one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. So, who else is competing this weekend with you? Uh, I think for now, I think just Melanie. Okay. Melanie and I. So. I, we're both looking forward to it. Nice going to battle together. Yeah, Mel- Melanie's been a little injured her shoulder, you know that, and so she's been resting so she can compete this weekend. That's awesome. Yeah, she's been looking really like forward to it because she'll be in class. And I can't roll because mm-hmm. I don't want to hurt myself even more. So yeah. So then after the tournament, is she back to uh, regular rolling with us if everything goes well? If everything goes well and she her shoulder feels fine, she should be back. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully she comes back because, you know, she'll be at the gym and then her attitude just becomes bummed out because she's like, man, I couldn't throw a punch. Mm. And I'm just, it hurts to roll. I'm like, I understand, you know, but, you know, it's better to rest right now than, you know, be, you know, be out for a longer time. Mm-hmm. So just patience. Yeah. <laughs> That's the hardest part because, like, you know, you just really want to do something. But, you know, step back, make the decision what's best for the long run kind of thing. Yeah. So how long have you been training with us? Four months? Four months. I think. And that's as long as I've known you. Um, and right off the bat, I think within the first couple of weeks, uh, well, I'm a therapist by trade, so like I kind of <laughs> I kind of like analyze everybody when I meet them. But right away, like, um, you know, and I think everybody picked up on this too, you're, you're a very funny guy. You're very humorous. <laughs> yeah. you, you use humor in a very witty, clever way. Uh, I well, want to ask you, you like about that. <laughs> yeah. No, because um, that's a part of myself that I've always wanted to develop mm-hmm. or um, just be better with, you know, because I like to bring joy in that way. It makes yeah. me feel good. Yeah. And so I was hoping you could provide some insight to me into how you develop that. Oh, and, like how, <laughs> how do you – do you use humor not just to brighten people's day, but do you use humor in other ways productively in your life? Um. I actually get uh, when I work with people. They may they say that when I work with them, work is way easier, um, and that's that's because I I'm, I'm trying to make work as enjoyable as I can. It's like I know we're in the dirt all day, but that doesn't mean we should have a good time. We shouldn't have a good time. Mm-hmm. And I know we're training and we're all tired. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't have a good time. And I just when it when it comes to being productive, uh, I, I see. Like when I see productive as like talking to people, it's definitely a good icebreaker. You know, just know that you're someone they can open up to. Because some people are like, I don't know if I can you know, talk to them about something. And it's like, well, just make a little joke. You know, be be personable, and you know, just not intimidating. Because <laughs> I have some people like at first you were intimidating, but then you made a you know crack at you know at a joke, and I just knew that you were just that kind of person where I can just talk to you. Yeah, I talked to my cousin Coleman about that too and had him on the podcast and he's very much like the type of guy who will go up to anybody, stranger, and just mm-hmm. strike a conversation, introduce yeah. himself, learn their name, learn about them. Um, and then it always – I watch him and it always leaves people smiling. It always leaves people feeling like, oh, that dude was awesome. Like I'm having a great day. I'm an awesome person, you know, uh, even if they were having a bad day. And, and you kind of have that – that same ability uh, when you come to class and like I see other people who are like tired or down or whatever and you'll just start cracking jokes um, and then it'll brighten the mood. But yeah. using <laughs> using it as a as an icebreaker I yeah. think is is a great idea. I wish I was better at them. I think my jokes are more like one liner Chuck Norris jokes, <laughs> um, which are great icebreakers <laughs> yeah. too when when you're corny. Um, 
I mean, I went to your bathroom and there was a book about Chuck Norris in the bathroom. I was like, that's awesome. Hell yeah, yeah. dude. I, yeah. I got to study, man. Yeah. <laughs> I got to study when I'm taking you got a your notes. <laughs> yeah, I just sitting there, just sitting there and taking yeah. notes and making mental snapshots. Yeah, no, no, I, was, I was cracking up in the bathroom. I was like, that's a, that's a good book to have in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like when, uh, oh, fuck, I was going to say, uh, it's just my personality. Uh, when, before I was a Christian, uh, my, my kind of like, like my mantra was, I guess I wouldn't say it to myself, but like my idea of of what I what I would like to do as my person is, any person you meet, you don't know how their day is going. It could be a terrible day, it could be a fantastic day. But why is me as a person? Why should I make it worse? You know what? I can just say hi and literally make someone's day by just saying that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, because you know when uh, you have an angry customer, like I used to work at a Sonic Drive-in. I was a manager there, and say. Uh, there was a person crying in their car. Like, give them a free meal. You know, just, why not? They're already having a hard day. You know, just tell them have a better day. Mm-hmm. Try to have a better day. And that's how I went. If I can hold the door open for somebody, I'd do it. Just whatever, whatever small thing. I wasn't, like, counting deeds. It's just, if you could do it, why not? So that was my everyday kind of thing. Right. It's no, it's no burden to you to yeah. do those things. Yeah. It's just simply opening the door. Mm-hmm. It's taking time out of your day. For somebody else. And people are just like, I want all my time for myself. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I just, I like helping people. And I like making them smile. So so how did you develop the humor muscle? I, like, were I, you always like class clown and everything? I, actually, I was a very quiet kid. Okay, so very tell me about kid. the switch. Oh, the thing is, like, when I think of, uh, my, when, I, when I became not quiet, it was probably high school. I just, I guess I blossomed or, you know, it was, I became more comfortable around people. And... At a, in my high school years, I actually had a devastating event where I had to grow up pretty fast. And I was like, man, this, this is adulting at this mm. point. And, you know, you don't want anyone else feel want to feel, like, terrible. If you're depressed, you know, you know that you don't want anyone else to feel that way. Because it, it sucks. You know, you know, feeling depressed sucks. So, like I said, if, you got, if I can make someone's day just by saying hi or making a quick joke or talking to them about something they like to talk about, and I would just do it. It'd be as easy as that. And I guess I just grew the sarcasm, the sarcasm bone, and I just it came from there because I love sarcasm. And I have a good friend uh, that I grew up with, and I think I met him in kindergarten, and we're still friends today. And I see him, like I see him at church. I see him if I go to Aurora, and he's living down there at that time. I'll go visit him or talk to him. It's kind of the I know that he'll be friends for a lifetime kind of thing. Uh, we kind of just grew our humor together. And we just brought other people. So. Nice. Yeah, I have a couple of best friends who were way funnier than I than I was. And that's He's part, definitely funnier than I am. That's part of the reason why I hang out with uh, some of my best friends, uh, like Jeff and Mike. But um, they, I mean, I can't help but smile when I'm around them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's something that I've always envied in people like yourself and them who can sort of tickle this humor muscle and bring it out. Whenever, you know, yeah. I'm, I think I'm getting better at a little bit of the spontaneous humor. Um, like when I have a funny thought, I'm getting better at like actually saying Expressing it instead it, of yeah. keeping it to myself. Yeah. Um, but I'm still testing the waters too, because, uh, you know, you sometimes you'll say something, <laughs> yeah. like, it was funny to me, yeah. but it's you not gotta, funny to everyone else. You gotta be careful because you, you just, you know, you'll trigger something in someone. And oh, like, totally. oh, in this PC that. culture, like you say something and it's just like, 
everyone's looking at you like, yeah. what the hell did he just yeah, say? Like, why did he say that? That's like, part of why I love our gym, too, because we are not PC in there. And we, oh, get, no. to, we get to express yeah. whatever we want. And we understand that, like, oh, he's just kidding. He's yeah. not being actually serious about oh, this totally. kind of stuff. And that's why I also love it. Because yeah. I can say pretty much anything. And everyone's going to be like, you know, you're stupid. Or, you right. know, they're just laughing with it. So, Like, I'm a nice guy. I'm not racist or sexist at all. But in the gym, I can totally be racist yeah. to you. And the thing is, you know, <laughs> I, I usually throw the first racist joke to myself. Right. And, like, you know, and they're like, everyone's like, that's okay. Mm-hmm. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Right. You know, because I feel like some people confuse stereotypes with racism. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, no, this is just, it's a stereotype. It's a joke. Some stereotypes are accurate, too. Yeah. yeah. Some stereotypes <laughs> are actually based on facts. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, I'll do a stereotype of myself. And I'm like, is that okay? It's like. It's true for me. Mm-hmm. It's a stereotype that's true for me, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's it's a stereotype for a reason because it's true somewhere. And I will tell you in this instance for this stereotype, it is true for me. Right. And I, I'm very comfortable with all that kind of stuff. So it, it takes a lot. Like I said, I'm a very patient person, so it takes a lot to piss me off. Mm-hmm. If, but if you do, then you're like, ooh, he did something really wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm the same way. Yeah. yeah, I didn't used to be that way. I was very quick to anger before um, when I was still uh, drinking. Mm. And just kind of drinking alcohol just kind of set my uh, personality, my life, everything just kind of on tilt just a little bit. It was yeah. just off in every way. But as soon as I corrected that one thing, removed that one thing from the equation, then the equation balanced. Yeah. It's like, you know, basic algebra and you have an extra plus one on one side. And yeah. You just take that <laughs> off and now all of a sudden it equals, you yeah. know. So, yeah. Um, I just become way more friendly. <laughs> when you drink? You want to drink, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do up to a point, and then uh, I get angry and violent and jealous and end up in jail because I do stupid things and yeah, like things on fire. And, yeah, yeah and <laughs> you should, yeah, don't let people fight. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, I'm getting in fights and all that. Oh, that's not good stuff, man. I like to tell people I'm allergic to alcohol, that I break, up, break out in handcuffs. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's my sobriety well, at least, joke. At least you know, you know your, your equation. Some people... Yeah. We'll look at the equation and just like, I don't... And just baffled. Yeah. And that's why people come to me, too, to to sort that stuff out, too. Uh, I'm an addictions counselor as well. So people, people, you know, come with with all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. uh, And they're like, I don't know what's going on with me. You know, I'm like, okay, let's, let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. Let's, let's sort through all these thoughts that are through your head. Let's put them all out on the table and I'll help you put the puzzle together. And that's, that's, that's why, like I said, I'm a big perspective person because from... As I speak to you and tell you about their day, about their own equation, you have that outside perspective. Like, hey, from from my point of view and from my past experiences, this is what I think you need to take out of the equation and balance it. Mm-hmm. And some people are just stubborn and they don't want to take anybody else's perspective or even think about it because they always think, uh, like say you uh, you stole something. I'm uh, Some people are like, oh, he's a bad person. That's why he stole. It's like, what if he stole some food because he has a starving family at mm-hmm. home. You know, never people never think about that. They just think that automatically that person's bad. They make a judgment. Yeah, snap a judgment. judgment. Yeah, a snap mm-hmm. judgment rather than like if shoot if mm-hmm. me and Mel were poor, you know, and I stole something, you know, I'd be like, this is for my wife, mm-hmm. you know, and people would probably do the same for their wife if that came down mm-hmm. to it. But people never think about their situation. They always think it's about the person. I totally make those snap judgments sometimes too, and yeah, I everybody does. Yeah, and I actively work on it. So if you're out there and you're hearing this and you're like. 
shit, I'm a shitty person because I make the snap judgments on people. No, we all <laughs> we, do. We all do it. The yeah. point is not to become this perfect saint, but the mm-hmm. point is to continue to work to improve that so that when you make a snap judgment, you can catch yourself in the middle of it and be like, oh, wait, yeah. I'm doing that thing again. Yeah, exactly. I need to, con- I need to remember what Chris said on that <laughs> podcast with Shane. That's such an awesome podcast. I need to go tell all my friends about it. Yeah, and donate to it. Yeah, take a step back yeah. and just you just don't know that person. Yeah. That's why I said like my consider my, my thing was consider someone else's day if they're mm-hmm. having a crap day or you know either or you know make their day better in some mm-hmm. sort of way because you don't know the person's situation. I just love that you can do it through humor. <laughs> I was I'm glad I can too. I can mm-hmm. that uh, because when I said about my the devastating event in my uh, high school years was that uh, my mother actually had swine flu. And pneumonia at the same time. Holy cow! And it caused her to have three strokes, and she you know, she was affected in many ways, physically, uh, spe- like speech. And you're and, a teenager. Yeah, I was a teenager. So, uh, and my dad had to still had to go to work, so I would go to school, go back home to pretty much take care of my mom with my brother and sister, and then after that, you know, make sure the house like do our chores and do regular kid things, but then take care of another human being mm. as a teenager, mm-hmm. especially your own mother. It's really hard, you know, and that just made me grow up really, like really fast, mm-hmm. especially my, my younger sister, who was, I forgot how old she was at the time, was very young. And you just see that in all of us, how we all had to mature pretty fast. And I was like, man, if this is adulting, you know, you're taking care of your kids in the future, then, you know, it's, it's a hard time. It's always going to be hard. Mm. And that's why I just had that, ideas like I'm just gonna make everyone stay better and it, it could be really hard for me you know, I was depressed because I was always trying to like I was just dealing with something that normal kids don't go through and I guess I had that uh, idea I was like I don't want anyone else to feel like alone or sad so I just try to do it through laughter mm. and like I said you know it's harder these days because everyone can be a little sensitive about some subjects because you know like what you said like you're just you're throwing something out there you're like, wait, I probably shouldn't have said that. And you're like, sorry. And, and, you know, I didn't mean it that way. Um, but, you know, like I, you said at the gym, it's, I, I can say it where you can say it and go, that's how exactly how I meant it, you know. But, mm-hmm. you know, everyone finds it funny. So it's very comforting to have that in, in class as well. Mm. Thank you for sharing that story. Yeah, it's, it's something that it's, you know, that now I can't really see my mother now because um, they live in, they moved to Indiana uh, quite a few years back. And, her memory is so bad that she actually has to be in a home. And when, like, my brother and sister will go visit her, they're like, where's Chris? And they'll call me, and I'll tell them, hey, Mom, I'm in Colorado. I have been the entire time. And then, you know, we'll say I love yous and hang up, and then five minutes later, I'll ask my brother and sister, where's Chris? Mm-hmm. And it's really hard because it's just, uh, she probably doesn't even remember Melanie because we got married before, after the fact, that huh. you know, kind of stuff, so... You know, when we have kids eventually, you know, it's kind of hard. Like, it won't, she won't remember her grandkids. But your kids will remember your exactly. gran- their grandma. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's just as important, too. That's yeah. how that's how she stays alive after she's gone is through yeah. the memories here. <clears throat> and the memories that I, you know, I tell my I tell Melanie. Yeah. Like, this is how my mom was before. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we we both watched Joe Coy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that for me was, when I first heard of him, he was, it was hilarious. Because his mom was my mom. Literally the same thing, all the, everything she said, same thing. So that was one, you know, part where I'm like, okay, you know, I can tell stories about my mom too, where it can make other people laugh, just like yeah. him. So, nice. Yeah. Um, 
I think that's a good segue into this quick commercial break. All right, so we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. As we take a quick break from Conversations with the Mind, I just want to let you know that this award-winning episode of the podcast is brought to you by MindOps. So go check out the MindOps website, M-I-N-D-O-P-S. Now back to the show. All right, folks, we're back. Conversations with the Mind with Chris. All right, so we left off talking about uh, your mom a little bit, and I wanted to share a similar story because uh, you're right, not everybody goes through what you went through, and I didn't go through what you went through, but I went through something that it reminded me of when you were sharing your story. And uh, so I grew up with a younger brother. We're 18 months apart, and um, growing up, my mom was in and out of bouts of alcoholism, um, and she's raising us as a single mom, so stepfather's in and out. She'd been married three times over the years and things like that, boyfriends, stuff like that. And um, I can remember living in various places in New Mexico mostly before we moved to Colorado where, you know, I was less than eight years old because we moved to Colorado when I was uh, eight. Um, instances where she'd be drunk or passed out or something, uh, unable to give us dinner or whatever, and I'd have to take on that responsibility of being the father figure to my younger brother who's literally only – a year and a half yeah. younger. So I too feel like I had to mature much faster than my peers. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to kind of let go of a lot of what childhood should have been mm-hmm. in order to make sure that my brother and I were okay. Yeah. Like I felt like I could take care of myself, but I wanted to make sure that my brother was okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause he's all I had and yeah. I was all he had. So, um, you know, I cook dinners or I do my best, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, I would try and be that parent when my mom couldn't. Um, so I, I, I empathize with you on yeah. that, having to grow up fast. Um, so with this happening to your mom and, and for the listeners and for those who don't know you, um, uh, you have, you're half Filipino, yeah. right? And half Puerto Rican. Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. Okay, I would have gotten that wrong. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> um, so you come from a multicultural uh, upbringing. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because, um, first of all, mm-hmm. I don't have that personal experience, so I'd love to gain your perspective on that. Yeah. Um, plus, I'm going into social work, and, and um, race is a huge that culture, part of that. Yeah, yeah culture. Plus, as a as a study of the mind and psychology and all this stuff, I know how impactful that is. Um, so, yeah, I'm wondering what what was it like growing up in a multicultural family like that? Um, you already, you know, you said your mom yeah. was, and for those people who haven't seen the Joe Coy special, maybe you could describe your mom a little bit about <laughs> like the stereotype. Yeah, the stereotypes yeah. fit in this yeah, case, yeah. right? Um, yeah. So my I think in our family, most of the Filipino culture was there. Um, Because my mom spoke Tagalog, which is the main language of the Philippines. Tagalog. Tagalog, yeah. And there's other dialects that she spoke as well. Do you speak any of that? I don't because she she never really taught me, but she also flip-flopped back and forth between dialects. That was hard to keep up. Mm -hmm. So I never really learned just one, you know. Uh, But, yeah, so, you know, my mom spoke Tagalog. She had her accent where F's are P's and B's are B's. And, what does uh, that sound like? Uh, so, uh, like fruit. 
be prutz. 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 You know, you're like, what? <laughs> you know, uh. Do you like some prutz? Yeah, or, or breakfast, you know. Breakfast. Yeah, yeah, it just, you know, it just. I love like, that. Yeah. Uh, you know, Joe Koi has the joke where, you know, Vix vapor rub, it's Bix. It is Bix, you know, and uh, it's just kind of, yeah, that kind of stuff where you, you laugh because it's so true. Mm-hmm. And it's a definitely a stereotype. Um, but when it comes to the culture, uh, for, I think a lot of Asian culture in general, like family is everything. Right? And, uh, when I think the hardest time for me for culture was just when I left to college because, you know, in the Philippines, when you say this is your grandma, that's not your grandma. Probably it's, it's, it's an old friend. Mm. So, so it's like a, the community yeah. raises the kids yeah. so, in the Philippines. So like, you know, my Linda, another person at our gym, she's, she's part Filipino. And when she told me that, I was like, oh, what up, cousin? Mm. Because literally, if you meet someone, like, you're your cousin at that point. It's part of a bigger family. Yeah. And when I first, when I went there in middle school, where I actually can remember the Philippines, like, this, this is your aunt, this is your uncle, you know, this is your cousin. And I was like, are any of these people related to me? I'm like, nope. None of them whatsoever are related to you. But that's just how it is, because everyone's family. And that impacted me just, you know, a lot, because I treated my friends as family. So in the Philippines, if you're Filipino, and that's that's the correct yeah, okay. Filipino. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I can never tell when it when something becomes not right to say, yeah. right? Like yeah. like when did Oriental become not Bad, okay? I didn't know because I used to work at an Oriental store right. when I was younger. Like, I was like you can't say that anymore, right? Or Oriental food, or <laughs> like uh, is it okay to even call someone Asian these days? Like yeah. I don't know. Like is that too general? Should yeah. we get specific and call them Taiwanese? And well, some people you know get offended for even trying like are you like are you japanese like no i'm this you know right or are you well hey at least i tried at least yeah. i didn't lump you together I, I, everyone. Least, you know like, i don't want to just say asian right you know? so so <laughs> in the philippines hard. um if you're filipino you're part of this big tribe this big family yeah, do you guys also view non-filipino natives as part of that family or is it like no we're we're this tribe uh we know each other's struggle and you guys are foreigners or is it like Everybody's my brother. Everybody's my cousin. Um, I feel like when it comes to like if, like say you were to come with me to the Philippines, I'm I wouldn't necessarily think they would think you as as a you know cousin or whatever. But for how I grew up, you know, uh, like in our house, everyone like all my friends were welcome. Mm. And when with the mindset, and that was mostly my dad. My dad always tried to make it a com- comfortable, safe home for people to come to and relax. And you know, so you have a problem of being at home, you can come to our house and relax. School's giving you a really hard time. You need to be with, you know, positive people coming to our house. So our, our door was always open. And I think with that Filipino culture of, you know, it's family, like being close with people, even if they're not really blood related to you, really stuck to me. So like if you, you know, became my friend, you were pretty much family, you know. And, you know, some people are like, that's too trusting. It kind of, it's just mm-hmm. how I was raised, mm-hmm. is that, oh, you're Filipino, you're my cousin now. And it's a funny thing to say, but you're family. And if you have a, a potluck or a dinner, you're invited over mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I feel like that's where a lot of my culture is like mixed together. So what you said in your household, it was mostly Filipino influence. What are some of the other like cultures, customs, traditions, artwork that you <clears throat> had around your house that that uh, – <laughs> that, can flavor your life in a Filipino way? Uh, well, first thing, we always had elephants in our house. Like artwork? Like statues, statues. Statues. Okay, cool. And I think if you pointed them to the door, 
it was always good luck. Okay. I, Filipinos are very superstitious. So do they worship elephants as well as like? No, they don't. I don't think okay. they worship elephants. Because in Thailand, they they yeah. literally worship. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's cool. Filipinos are actually Catholic because the Spaniards when they huh. conquered them. Um, so there's definitely a lot of religion over there, but they're just superstitious in in funny ways. You're like, that's a dumb superstition, but okay. Because I remember I had a pillow on my head. I was just carrying some pillows downstairs on my head. Mm. My mom was like, take that off your head. That's bad luck. I was mm. like, how is this bad luck? If I fell, the pillow would save me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I, I didn't understand a lot of the superstition. But one culture that I miss a lot is the food, like part of the culture. Mm. Because I, I I think there is, I think there's, it's still there, but there's a Filipino restaurant in Aurora that I think is the only place where I can get Filipino food reliably, if mm-hmm. it's still there. It's been years since I've actually been able to go down there. Um, but since my mom got sick, I don't have anyone to really cook me Filipino food that she could. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's one hard thing that I kind of have to, uh, like one thing that I can't share with Melanie because there's no. Right. And the food. tradition wasn't necessarily passed down to you either. Yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't really, I wasn't at the age where I can cook. I mean, I could cook, but I was just working you know, at school. Right. You know, my mom's just like, you know, pay attention in school, do hard in school. So it was homework when I got home. But uh, culture-wise, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff, I feel like, from the Philippines that just uh, influenced me, but especially with that the family-oriented mindset. When I went to uh, college, uh, my, my grandma on my mom's side actually got really mad at me for going to a college in a different city, mm. even if the city was an hour and a half away because I'm from Aurora. Uh, they're like, how dare you, you know, Leave the house when your mom is. Oh, in so they felt like you were like deserting. Exactly, because like I said, we're very family oriented, and if someone's sick, you take care of them. But I know that my mom would want the best for me, and to go to college, we had a good college. Mm. So, and my dad even told her like, "Hey, he's his own person. He's allowed to make his own decisions, and that's one that he wants." But there was a time where my grandma did not like talking to me because I was not at home. Mm. So. Uh, and that's where, I don't know, I feel like she still she still could be upset with me about that. Um, but like I said, there's nothing I can do now because they're in Indiana, and then I like I'm not uprooting my entire life to move to Indiana, where I have other responsibilities to take care of, where I have my own wife, where it's my my duty to take care of her as a husband, and there's just so much that goes with along with it. Right, but. That was one hard thing I had to get over is when I went to college, I, I, I did feel guilty about mm-hmm. that. So uh, I guess negative and a positive. <laughs> so her her feelings might not have changed. Have your feelings changed about mm-hmm. it? Like do you feel still feel guilty about, about making that decision? Or now that you're done with that part of your life, do you feel like I made the right decision? Um, I, I feel like I did make the right decision because I know that if my mom was well, she would tell me to go. She would have wanted you to she, go. She was like, yeah, totally. You know, um, which I, I know that she would definitely like, hey, go out there, you know, live your life. Uh, but that's what she did. She left the Philippines to marry my dad and because you know, she's from the Philippines. My dad was stationed in the Philippines. In the so military. your dad's from Puerto Rico, right? No, no, he's actually from the States. He's from Indiana. Indiana. Yeah. Okay, so he was stationed there. They met, got mm-hmm. married. She moved over here. Mm-hmm. And so, like, she moved away from her family. Mm-hmm. And I can see that, you know, some people wouldn't like that but at the same time. You can, you know, help your family by making money here or 
You know, you can always, like she always called her family in the Philippines. She mm-hmm. always had a, a close relationship and all that kind of stuff. They always like, like, they like to gossip. Filipinos love to gossip. <laughs> <laughs> they, my mom loved to gossip. So that's what she did with her, her family in the Philippines. So she would, you know, tell them about her day and then well, what's the, what's going on over there kind of thing. So what does the Puerto Rican come in then? Um, there, like I said, there wasn't a lot of Puerto Rican influences. We didn't even speak Spanish. But you house. said you're half Puerto Rican. I'm half Puerto. My dad's Puerto Rican. Oh, he is. Yeah, he's Puerto Rican, but he's oh, I think he like physically from Puerto Rico. <laughs> so he, his parents were Puerto Rican from yes. Puerto Rico. I believe so. Yes, I okay. believe he was born in the states. So. Yes, he was okay. born in Indiana. Gary, Indiana. Gary, Indiana. Gary, Indiana. <laughs> yep. So, uh, so he was American. <laughs> well, Puerto Rico's. <laughs> I, I feel so weird saying like Puerto Rico's America, even like Hawaii. Like I, yeah. I, I have a tough time saying that because to me, like I don't feel right. Like we totally just claimed you as our own territory. Yeah, you're our land. Yeah, you're ours now. <laughs> Sorry. Like no, that's not it's, right. It's weird. Yeah. Like that's right. my that's my ancestors that did that, not me. Like I don't believe in that. Like you you go do your thing. You be an islander. You you, yeah. you do you. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a part of us, you're more than welcome. Yeah. You know? But we're not going to claim you as our own. Right. That's but... stupid. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, okay. So that's the Puerto Rican influence, but yeah. not much in the household coming Not out. much in the household. Yeah. I mean, there was, you know, some food, but like I said, we mostly ate Filipino food. And either, my dad always made the joke because Filipino is fish and rice. Mm-hmm. And then Puerto Rico, it's rice and beans. So <laughs> it's just one ingredient change. So. Yeah. <laughs> rice, beans, and fish. Yeah. There you go. So, I mean, mostly it was rice and fish. So now I never complained about it. So. Nice. That's awesome, dude. So, um, so you mentioned Catholicism as being the basis for Filipino, yeah. Um, but I mean, they had their own religion, spirituality before that. Do you know anything about that? I have no okay. idea what it was before that. So you've never like, gone into Filipino history or no, studied that? No, not really. Okay. I just know that. When I actually, when I first went to the Philippines, like I said, in middle school, I actually remember stuff because I wasn't as a baby. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anything. Um. They just have big buildings for churches, okay. gigantic buildings. And that's the only thing that's like for religion that I, that I know of over there is mainly Catholic. So, but then you said you're Christian. Yeah. Right? So you converted intentionally at some point. Yeah. And uh, tell me tell me about that because I, I grew up um, probably with mostly Christian influence. My mm-hmm. mom never pushed me towards anything. Yeah. Uh, she was kind of rebellious in her age and wanted to make, uh, she's a kind of a free spirit, wanted my brother and I to find our own path. So that yeah. was nice. But I remember being forced to go to Sunday school uh, at a Christian church when I was young. It was more like my mom's version of daycare for us. Yeah. And then also when I went to military school on the East Coast, uh, we'd have to sit in a Catholic church twice a week, once on Sunday, once oh, wow. on Tuesday for Vespers. And uh, I had to sit through Catholic service there. Um, but it was always like forced on me. I didn't mm-hmm. get a choice. Yeah. And that was my only exposure. It kind of turned me away from Western religions and more mm-hmm. towards atheism. And then eventually I crashed and burned with that. <laughs> and then I was like, I got to find something. I had a spiritual experience and found Buddhism. Mm-hmm. But I'm really interested in your perspective and how okay. how you came to Christianity and what like what is it? What what uh, what drew me to it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when I was younger, you know, uh, I did go to church, uh, but Hardly ever. It was like mainly for Easter and Christmas because the main like days for Catholic, I guess. Um, but I never really like learned. I just knew that we had to go. And so when I got older, I kind of just separated from it because it wasn't something important to me. And when my mom got sick, that's when you know, if like there is, there is a God, then why? 
Like, why is all this? Food? That's that question comes yeah. up so, yeah, so often what, when people it, lose exactly. people. Yeah. And uh, it, but the thing is, it, just, it it taught me, but I didn't I didn't know the lesson until later. Um, but I went, you know, I went to school, went to, went to college. It's just having that mindset of you know how people's day, days are going. Why make it harder? Make it better. Until I met, uh, well, my best friend, he actually took me to a retreat. For a church retreat, we went to, like, we went uh, to a snow tubing. I got to meet some people and whatnot. That's fun. Yeah, yes, it is fun. <laughs> and that's why I went. There was, you know, and I was, like, like I said, meeting new people and just talking to them and making their day. Um, but when I, they first started talking, because, you know, obviously when you go through all that kind of stuff, they, they're going to talk. If you're at a retreat, they're going to talk about religion. And then I learned that, you know, Jesus said, you know, love each other, love your neighbors. And I was like, that's kind of my mindset. It's just loving your neighbors. And I learned that the church is just people, like you said, you know, we like make those snap decisions on people. It's just a church full of them who are just looking to make their lives better and be surrounded by people who also care about them. And that drew me towards it because at that point in my time, in my life, I was just, I felt a lot alone, which makes sense to go towards people. Mm-hmm. And I continue to hang out with those people. And then I just, one day I was like, I kind of want to make this like my life where not only am I going to try to make people's days, but I just want to love on people. Mm. And if that's, you know, what the, the, the like Christian's goal is, I want to be a part of that. Nice. And then that's where I, you know, I took more interest in the Bible, learning and talking to people and talking to our preacher and, and just being actually invested in that life. Right. And just, um, spirituality there's a big thing about being spiritual because you can be um because you can not know someone and love them because you just because you don't know their, their full story doesn't mean you have you know you can't love on them even if you do know their full story and they're terrible people you can still yeah, love and them then, they're, they're, they're that makes possible. it harder yeah. knowing them makes it harder yeah. and there are you know people that i don't like but doesn't mean I want worse for them. I don't right. want. Yeah, if I do, that's just wrong. Right. <laughs> just, I'm about to say something totally controversial. Oh, that's, that's fine. <laughs> no. So this idea that um, you know we don't have to like them to love them mm-hmm. is a thing, and yeah. I think we all experience that sometimes with family. Yeah. But I've been asked too when when people have um, approached me and my Buddhist beliefs and kind of want to question or challenge them mm-hmm. for me, like uh, on a philosophical level, yeah. they may ask like. Um, well, could you, like, do you love Charles Manson? Do you love, uh, you know, who's the other killer? Jack the Ripper? Yeah, do you love yeah. O.J. Simpson, right? Yeah. And, um... So you think you did it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I have to say yes. Mm-hmm. And then right away they're like, oh, how could you? Right? Yeah. That initial yeah. snap judgment. And then I have to explain and I'm like, well, look. Like, I don't like them. I don't agree with the things they did. But the fact that they're another human soul, they're another human being, they were born completely innocent babies. And they are part of the same cosmic machine that I am. Mm -hmm. Therefore, if I hate them, I'm hating a part of myself. So it benefits me to still love them and love their soul. Mm -hmm. But I don't have to hang around with them. I don't have to talk to them. I can't, you know, but I still love them. And that's what a lot of people mistake. Well, some people do do this, but, they, you know, there's, uh, I should say, like, three weeks later, after I actually chose to be baptized, I met Melanie. Mm. And she was actually someone who was trained to be a missionary, and their their um, mission field was Fort Collins. And I was like, how old are these people? 
and they were younger than me. I was like, they're trying to be a missionary in a college town who's very, very set on, like, like the religion is crap, pretty much. Because there's people on campus who hold, like, you're all sinners, you're going to hell. Right, Kelly tells me about yeah. them all the time. Yeah, and there, there are people, and it's like, first of all, that's not, we don't have the right to judge that. That's, that's <laughs> God's judgment, right. right? So that didn't make any sense for me. But uh, that's why, like, loving people, like, people forget that our job is just to love people. Not to shove the Bible down the throat, but my, to show through our actions who we are. Mm. And people are just like, oh, I'm going to make a sign, and I'm going to scare them into religion. I'm like, no, that's just to drive people away. Mm-hmm. you got to show them what, what Jesus calls out to be, because when Jesus came, he actually hung out with the sinners. Mm. He just hung out with the quote-unquote bad people, and people were like, why are you hanging out with Hell them? Hell yeah, was he partying with them? Probably. <laughs> no, <laughs> Probably. So, I have a book uh, also... Uh, I think it's called Mushroom and the Sacred Cross, and mm-hmm. it, it talks about how um, uh, Christianity and Jesus and his whole band of people might have actually started out uh, as a mushroom cult. Like, um, oh, wow. yeah. not like cult in a bad word, <laughs> yeah. word, but like they were experimenting with uh, psilocybin mm-hmm. mushrooms on each other and whatever, trying to find the answers mm-hmm. in spirituality yeah. and found that love and connection and all mm-hmm. these things were the way to be. Um, and, uh, that Christianity and the Christian church and the, they had just pushed and stuffed that information down. Actually, only up until like a couple of years ago, you couldn't even buy it because the Christian, or I think it was the Christian church uh, or the Vatican or something yeah. bought the rights to the book so that it couldn't oh, be wow. published and couldn't be released. And now you it, yeah. it can be, yeah. it's public knowledge now, but it's just an interesting theory. Uh, I don't know if that's been proven, but, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's, it's interesting because you, you found your way into Christianity not by reading the Bible, not yeah. by um, <coughs> even going to church, but mm-hmm. you heard a message, yeah. right? You heard an ideal, a value statement, mm-hmm. and I forgot exactly what, what you said that you heard Jesus say, like, uh, it related to treating... Oh, love your neighbors. Love your neighbors. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so you heard that, and you're like, boom, like, they felt this connection, mm-hmm. like, holy shit, that's yeah. what I am all about. Yeah. Um, and that's the same that I found for buddhism too except mine was like uh i just read like one page in a buddhist text once mm-hmm. and i was like every single word like matched up with yeah, what it, i it, uh what do you call it? uh i can't think of the word but yeah i, don't, I know what you mean it it's, resonated it, thank you that's the yeah. word <laughs> yeah totally yeah and so you hear this thing and it just clicks and um i think a lot of people get that and they fail to follow it up and like mm-hmm. pursue it and research and look into it yeah. um you and I both did, and mm-hmm. we both found our path, and yeah. I'm so glad we did because yeah. <laughs> it, it makes our life so much more full, yeah. I believe. Um, there's actually studies showing that the people who are who do have some sort of spiritual belief actually live healthier, happier lives uh, yeah. qualitatively, so that's kind of cool. Um, but, yeah, I like that you f- you found it through an ideal, and then you're like, okay, this interests me. I'm going to research more. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm mm-hmm. going to talk to missionaries. Uh, I'm going to figure out what this thing's all about. Yeah, and like I said, like, Literally after I chose to be baptized, three weeks later, Melanie and her team were announced to be coming to our, our church as their mission mm-hmm. field. And I was like, I'm going to do whatever I can to help them because, like I said, they're young people in a college town. That's going to be really hard. So I just, like, made it – like, I just felt like I needed to be there to make that transition as smooth as possible. And in that – in doing that, I learned way more about the Bible and, like, a deeper understanding of it. So that just strengthened my bond, and then that's how I met Melanie. Right. So, <laughs> who is obviously you don't know who Melanie is? That's my my wife. Mm-hmm. So, 
uh, that's a cool story yeah. of how <laughs> you found your spirituality and your your significant other yeah, and I can share that spirituality with yeah kind of yeah that's so cool yeah Kelly was um I I think she was practicing some Buddhist ideals without even knowing it mm-hmm. before we started hanging out and dating uh we knew each other like 10 years ago we both worked at the same mental health facility and um she had a crush on me and I had no idea she was dating somebody <laughs> oh, else yeah, at the time. Oh, yeah, I you that story. <laughs> yeah, so uh, she was crushing hard, I guess, on my, ma- my masculinity, man. I'm so, so manly. So hot. Yeah, I'm so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so, yeah, and then uh, I moved on from there and she moved on with her life and then we reconnected when she broke up with him. Um, and, you know, we started hanging out and she didn't really know much about Buddhism, but mm-hmm. she... When I told, would tell her about Buddhism and like sort of the things that I try and follow, the ideals and the the values, she's like, oh, wait, I do that too. And then she started to adopt some of the Buddhist practices. So she started wearing the beads. And yeah. this actually became part of our wedding. Yeah. You, know, you told me about that because yeah. I like your beads. And you're like, it's actually what we exchange at the wedding. Yeah. Like, so that's awesome. Yeah, it's our wedding yeah. beads. So uh, I wanted to incorporate Buddhism in a non-traditional way into our wedding. Um, and... So, yeah, when I proposed to her, the very next day we ordered our own beads. We picked out our, out our own, and um, and then as soon as we got them in the mail, we exchanged them. Mm-hmm. It's like, here, you wear yours, I'll wear mine for a year, and we'll just charge them up with positive energy about mm-hmm. the, the marriage to come. And then on our wedding day, we'll exchange them back, and we'll give each other our own beads. Oh, wow, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, so nice. then at the at the wedding, uh, we exchanged the beads and, you know, put it around each other's necks, and it really was kind of like a spiritual, cosmic, vibrational, charged-up uh, exchange to, I mean, to bond just, our souls. When you, like you say, you filled it up with your your own spirit and you're giving mm-hmm. it, to, it's just like, hey, I'm giving, like, part of me to you. Exactly. That's what it is, and I'm like, that's, hey. And, and it was way cheaper than a diamond ring. <laughs> that was part of it. And both yeah. of, both of us have uh, strong values against the, the diamond trade mm-hmm. and, and yeah. the whole thing behind uh, blood diamonds and stuff. Yeah. So we were like, we don't want to do the, the Western wedding. It doesn't have any meaning to us. We're just yeah. going to do it our own way and screw the diamonds. Yeah, you know. I mean, I, you know, the whole tra- you know, tradition of having, you know, an engagement ring and mm-hmm. an actual wedding ring. And I was like, I just bought one ring. Yeah, do you so, wear a ring? Uh, I usually do, but I have to take it off because um, for work. Because oh. <laughs> if I if if I like if I hit it on something, sure. it's, like, my finger swells up, and then I have to deal with that, and I don't want it to fall off. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to cut your finger. <laughs> I'm off. trying to get a those silicone rings. Nice. But for her, um, she actually picked out her own antique looking ring. Nice. And uh, I actually got her good with her proposal. So <laughs> if you really want to be into jujitsu, they make uh, ranked uh, ranked rings. So you can buy a white belt ring, white belt ring. Oh, and then when you I get blue belt, just <laughs> change it up. Change it up. <laughs> so on my sunglasses, they're um, they are uh, Leo optics, which are um, jujitsu inspired glasses. So they're made out of oh, bamboo, and oh, okay. uh, they're made by jujitsu guys and uh, really cool guys, and they sponsor jujitsu people in tournaments. And uh, so I painted on one of the one of the ear things. The temple things yeah. A brown belt on there. Oh, nice. And I've done it since purple belt, so I painted the belt on there, and then every time I get a stripe, I just paint a stripe on there. So oh, that's it's, awesome. It's kind of like, you know, these are like keychains that signify your rank or and whatever. I've actually and, been thinking about getting a keychain. Yeah. Because it's like, of course I have my belt, 
So it's sure, you can't, you can't carry that around. But you can't, you can't like just wear it all the time. <laughs> That'd be awesome. You know? Wear it to King Supers. <laughs> everyone's looking at you like, who the hell is this karate wearing, dude? He's wearing a three piece suit with the <laughs> with the belt on it. <laughs> Conor <laughs> McGregor wannabe. <laughs> hell no, Chuck Norris. I have a picture for those of you guys just listening. Uh, we're in the new podcast studio, and I have a couple things up on the wall. I have a, a freaking sweet picture of Bruce Lee, probably the coolest picture I, I I've like ever seen picture. of Bruce Lee. He just his facial expression, just uh, it's like this stoic focus. He's like, just I'm gonna rip your head off, but <laughs> I'm super calm at the same time. And uh, so I have that up, and then this is my grandma. Actually, it's a picture of my grandma in her judo gi. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. And that's like back in the 50s or 60s. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, dude, that's, that's awesome. so cool. And judo yeah. is not even really that big of a thing mm-hmm. here in America. So I have some, some martial arts inspiration up here uh, and some spiritual inspiration around here, too. You can, you know, those of you at home can't see all the artwork around, but I try and make it uh, sort of related to the theme of the podcast. Yeah. I'm, what do you I'm think about it. the sound quality? Oh, I, I am loving good. it. Yeah. Like I said, I wish I had this set up at my, my house. So, okay, listen to my voice. So I'm going to play with the gain a little bit. Okay. Does that make any difference there? I th- yeah, totally. It totally does. Okay, yeah. so I'm going to back it off a little bit to make it sound better. I think you you sound pretty good on okay, your yeah, side. Yeah. Okay, yeah, awesome. So I want to um, get back to Christianity just for a okay. minute. And uh, so I like that that you embrace the ideals and you – and then you went the research and studied it, studied up on it. How mm. do you, um, how do you currently like actually practice, right? Because I see so many people who say I'm spiritual, I'm religious, mm-hmm. I go to church, stuff like that. But then I see people talk the talk but not walk the walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In in all traditions, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, they'll say, you know, I go to church, I'm really spiritual. Uh, we need to treat others as <clears> we treat <throat> ourselves. And then I look at their personal life, and you know, their kids hate them, and like. Just shit's not going well, yeah. you know. So how do you? And I think it. I think that comes down to practice, right? Yeah. You, you can't just go to church and expect everything to be okay. You have exactly. to take yeah. the ideals that you learn in church and then apply it to your life in every day. That's what you yeah. do with therapy. That's what you do with martial arts. That's what you do with school. Mm-hmm. You can't just learn it and then leave it yeah. where you learned it. You have to take it and apply it, or else the knowledge is nothing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so. I think what I like to say is that we have to, we don't just read the Bible, we live in it. We take it, and like you said, we, we apply it in our own lives. Where, uh, like, if you like, if you just met me, you wouldn't know that I was a Christian. Not uh, at all. Yeah, exactly. You'd have to ask me, or, hey, you want to hang out Sunday morning? Like, sorry, I have to go to church. Mm-hmm. Um, that's because I try to show it through my, my action, by what I'm doing. Uh, or if, I, if I'm holding a Bible, obviously, it's like, oh, he's he's a Christian. Well, not necessarily, but... Um, no, I got I like, a Bible right behind yeah, you. I, I like to show my like my spirituality through my actions, because that's, that's what it is. Um, that's what we're called to do, is not shove a Bible, like, verses down your throat. It's just that, you know, if I treat someone well, sometimes I've had people go, you know, like, why are you, why, like, why are you so friendly to people that you don't know? It's like, well, it's called love people. And like, how did you figure that out? Bible. That's what all religion is exactly. trying to teach. Yeah. Yeah. Love people. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and like I said, that by my my life practices at the time when I was in college was just make people's day. Then I realized I'm just loving on people. I'm already doing it, and why not better myself by learning more from it? So I just 
like like you said, I kept going to church and learning. And we always, I, I think some people have uh, the mindset of going to church and you're, you're being fed information. And then with the information, you just, okay, I got fed. I'm going to go home for a week and I'll be back, I'll be back to get fed next week. Mm-hmm. When in reality, you're supposed to get fed and share that, that wealth of knowledge to other people, not necessarily by just you can speak it like, hey, what did you learn in church today? Or what did you, you know, talk about? Or what did they preach today? Um, it's also, hey, uh, someone also needs prayers in their life because they're going through a really hard time. If you just want to talk to talk to them or just love on them, you feel free to do that too. And uh, I just think that, like I said, living in the Bible is just straight through action. Mm-hmm. How do you think um, believing in what you believe in influences like how you make sense of reality, how you make sense of, like we said in the very beginning, like those senses, mm-hmm. right? Like it's not, we're not just here as physical beings. We have a spiritual self and a much greater purpose with that spiritual self, even though we don't know what it's all about yeah. yet necessarily. Mm-hmm. But how does being a Christian specifically like shape how you view things like Death, life, rebirth, karma. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, these are Buddhist terms. Yeah. A lot of them, but yeah. you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. You get the the gist, right? Um, like, what's this all about? Ooh, what's it? That's a big question. I mean, <laughs> I mean love everyone is the basic yeah. code of conduct. Yeah. But what is the purpose of the existence? Pur- purpose of existence. Yes. Ooh, I mean, how does Christianity tackle that? For question? for for us, it's it is spreading the word so everyone can. You know, essentially join us in heaven. And then what happens? That's, that is, is that the a, end? A, then we just chill so. in heaven? Well, <laughs> I mean, I actually had this conversation about, uh, uh, what happens in heaven. Mm-hmm. Some people like, it's just singing. I was like, oh man, that sounds terrible for yeah. me. But you know, in, in the Bible it says heaven is a great place where you know, there's a kingdom there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, does that mean that I'll have a house mm-hmm. where I can live? Where, do I have to go to work in this kingdom? Is there a section where I can go fly on dragons nice. or, you know, that kind of stuff? And I, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. And, but I know that there's a power that loves me for I am no matter what. And that's what it is. is there's God who, who's created me. Mm-hmm. And even though I make, I sin, I make mistakes that, 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 uh, that God still loves me. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus came down, he essentially loved everybody and just, Try to look like that's what it is. Just for me to love on people and ask me, why are you the way I am? I, I believe it's through the Bible and that draws them closer so someone else can be, you know, saved. I'm not trying to necessarily baptize people. I'm just trying to plant the seed or leave a seed. And if it grows, that's God's plan. If not, then I'm not, I'm, I don't know because I'm just one person. I'm not so, I know they say um, Jesus is the son of God, mm-hmm. right? But now I'm getting the sense that he's not li- the literal son of God, but he's just like the human manifestation. To he's like a conduit for the message. He's right? little, yeah. He, well, the God isn't like this father figure. Like we, I they, I hear them say father, father, yeah, God, right. But he's not literally like didn't literally, you know, um, impregnate the universe yeah. and, and give birth <laughs> yeah. to you, right? It's yeah. more like um, Jesus figured out that. There's this universal love energy connecting us all or like 
there is some reason to our existence. And so he wanted to be the spokesperson for that and like spread that message yeah. to people. Um, so some, I mean, some, that's definitely one way to look at it. Yeah. Uh, for me, like he is like, he was born through Mary and Mary didn't have sex. She he was just born. And for us, that's, that's why he's the son of God. And also he has the power of, of God. He's literally God mm-hmm. he's in human um, form. And he just came down to sacrifice his only son to, uh, Get rid of our sins, pretty much, mm-hmm. and for forgiveness of our sins. Excuse me. Uh, <clears throat> so, when I'm sorry, I'm trying to think of the question again. <laughs> um. So, the, there wasn't really a question. Oh, it was just, just kind of yeah. like I was trying to trying to wrap my brain oh, yeah. around um, the concept of Jesus from a perspective that I could understand. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I. I believe that he was a real person, mm-hmm. and I believe that he was a spiritual leader, yeah. and I believe that he influenced many, many, many people. Mm-hmm. Um, um, in, a, in a way, he was a messenger. Totally. Yeah, and I feel like he came because in the Old Testament, the Pharisees were following the law, but not for the right reasons. They were, you know, they were terrible to sinners. Like they, outcast, like they casted them out pretty much. When, when in reality, Jesus came in and goes, hey, those are the people we're trying to bring in and, and take care of them. Not to separate ourselves from them, but to be there for them. Just because they're, like you said, we're, they're people. So he's trying to say, like, why are we so divided? Yeah. We need to stop dividing ourselves because essentially we're all the same. Yeah, you're following the law, but not for the right reasons. Right. So that's when, because the Pharisees will, will try to trick Jesus with, with questions and to trace something that's against the Bible. But in return, he just says, you know, like, there's this law, but... Here, here's the real reason for it, kind of mm-hmm. thing, and he did that through. Uh, uh, I can't think of the word right now. I'm having a total blank, but okay. like, like stories, you know, that's what he used pretty much. Mythology, yeah. and like like he used legends. fable, fables, but, yeah. fables, but that had the you know the reason and rhyme to it. At the yeah, end. so uh, in like uh, Japanese or uh, other Asian cultures, that would be maybe called like a parable. Mm-hmm. Like a parable. A, Sorry, that's that's the word. Yeah. Yeah, parable. Thing. Yeah, like Gosh, a like a, a story from. that uh, has a deeper um, has a meaning, meaning to, to life. Yeah. yeah, it's it's not necessarily you know right in your face, but there's you know a lesson to be learned from it. Right, you have to sit with it for yeah. a little. In uh, in meditation, there's a practice called a koan, which is like a a little riddle mm-hmm. that uh, you, you'll go to like a, a meditation master and ask him a question and he'll give you a koan or a riddle. Yeah. And it's just like two or three lines of words and it usually makes very little sense. It's beautiful sometimes, but then you have to go and like meditate on that koan for like a year or something oh, wow. and then go back and check in and be like, <laughs> did I get this right? And usually you're way off. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's interesting how, um, you know, stories are passed down that way, and uh, Christian history is is really fascinating to me because the Bible wasn't even written until many many centuries after all these events happened, yeah, right? Yeah. And so, so it's all these stories passed down through like that that game telephone, right? Yeah, and, and how they changed exactly. and interpreted, and yeah. history some histories left out, right? Like maybe this mushroom cult thing is real and left <laughs> out, right? Or maybe other things are totally left out and then shaped in a way. Um, and then it's fascinating because then something happened in there, and it happens in other religions too, where it morphed into almost like a business model. Yeah. Where the definitely. Vatican becomes like a business and mm-hmm. it, it now collects art and like does all these things. And, mm-hmm. um, and you hear about these evangelical 
people on TV like making millions and millions of dollars yeah. off of religion, and you're like, what happened mm-hmm. to um, these ideals, yeah. right? That made you fall in love with it in the first place. I think one big thing is that, say, if I were, if I died, mm-hmm. you know, just and if say I, you know, in my opinion, if I, if I was wrong about God and Christianity, I know that I lived a life of where. I did my best to take care of other people. Right, you did good. Yeah, I wasn't, you know, just being rude to everybody and not taking care of them. If someone needed me, just ignoring them, or ignoring that need. I just, I did my best to, you know, help my brother and sister. Like, either we're blood related or not. Or if we're a brother in Christ or not. I went out there, lived my life, trying my best to help people. And I know that I might fail, become a person, but at least if I died and if, if I was wrong, I know I lived a, I lived a, uh, a decent life mm-hmm. in, that, in that aspect. Yeah, I think an easy, again, it's a mantra that I use, an easy way to th- remember that is, um, that I use is always do more or give more mm-hmm. to the collective than I have ever take, mm-hmm. right? So, I'm, of course, I'm going to have to take from other people too, like support yeah. and love and mm-hmm. in order to make it through tough times. But yeah. I need to make sure that my existence on this planet, that I give much more than I take. Mm-hmm. And in that way, you know, it's like uh, you leave a positive imprint yeah. when you when you leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that because, um, you know, we were at my home last night watching the fight. Yeah, and I love that. I because I just grew up making my home a safe place for other people. And just if, like your dad. Yeah, and it's like if you needed, uh, if anyone from our gym needed a place, like, or if anyone really like needed a place, like, hey, I need to be somewhere to away from home or away from work and just where I can sit down and just be there. Like, fine. Come over, come over to our place. We don't. Um, you can hang out with you or leave you alone. You know, you can spend time doing whatever, as long as not being destructive, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's just, like I said, giving to people because you just never know when they need something. Um, as long as they're brave enough to ask <laughs> or courageous enough to ask. Mm-hmm. Some people are just afraid to ask for help, and it's like we're always there. Mm-hmm. So, like when, like you guys, I said you're all there last night. I'm like, I love this. We're just we're surrounded by. Positive energy and people who actually care about for, care for us. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. When I um, indulge, and sometimes I like to indulge in. So as humans, we have this amazing ability to run simulations in our brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to indulge in um, religious conceptions of heaven mm-hmm. in my own mind. Like, oh, what would that be like? Yeah. To, so, like, even with like uh, like with Vikings, right? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll like, close my eyes and be like, oh, what would Valhalla be like? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a crazy party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like uh or like um uh Arabic uh religions, right? Yeah. Um uh even like terrorists, right? Who mm-hmm. believe they're gonna go see seventy two virgins or whatever. Like yeah. I'll close my eyes and be like, Oh, what would that be like? Okay, like that's some pretty strong motivation to do those things <laughs> that they're doing, right? <laughs> like that would be interesting. Um but I when I fantasize um a little bit about uh Christian concept of heaven, mm-hmm. um you know, what I've heard in my just in my in my younger years was like mm-hmm. uh, like a kingdom of clouds yeah. and, and then light and rainbows and everything you ever wanted and um, just joy all around and all this stuff. And um, for me, I and I think it would be different for everyone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it would be this place that you could manifest anything. Um, and for me, I, I'm just picturing like beaches and like this great view of like 12 planets. But. In closer proximity, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you can see him on the sky, and like just this cool place. What do you envision for yourself as uh, 
like your your heaven space. You said dragon. Oh, you want yeah. like a dragon <laughs> loading dock. I mean, what like else? it's just you know. I think I, 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 my friends always like when you go to heaven. Like, what's the first thing you want to do? Right. And I go, I want to ask God the funniest joke. What's, what's the, the funniest, funniest joke? But then nothing's ever going to be funny ever again after <laughs> no, that. No, I mean, <laughs> I just like was, I already heard a better one. <laughs> Sorry, God, but there's this one joke right here that's way better than that one. No, it's just because we're made in His image, and I just want to know, like, like just walk up to Him, like, hey, what's, what's a good joke? Mm-hmm. Or um, I also said that I would love to know the world's mysteries, like unsolved mysteries. Mm. And like, I'm a very simple person. Like, flying dragons, that'd be awesome. But I just, I want you want knowledge. Yeah, I want the unknown. Mm-hmm. I just want to know what it is. Yeah, me too. And um, you want the answers. I want. Yeah, you I want, want the, the secret I want, files. I want the, yeah, the I want God the, files. I want the X files. You know, <laughs> the, the, hey, are there aliens? Or, uh, or you know, um, there's a series on YouTube where it's like unsolved mysteries, and mm-hmm. like, like I want to know all those. Like, hey, what what happened here? Like, did OJ really do yeah, it? Did OJ <laughs> really do that? That kind of stuff. So, um, be awesome. Uh, uh, some people are like, I mean, that's really boring. Like, I do want to fly. I want to have a lightsaber and do mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And it's like, I understand that, but sometimes. I just want to relax with the people that right. you know have passed away, and I want to see them, kind of thing too. Um, but it would be cool to have a dragon. I, don't nice. know, I know Melody would love to have a dragon. Yeah. So. <laughs> have you ever seen Never Ending Story? Yeah. yeah. Falcor. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Dra- but he's more like a dog. Yeah, he's more. Like, yeah, he's like he's a, a flying, huge freaking dog. He's a flying dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's cool. Yeah. Um, so, but in Buddhism, um, I don't know if you know much about Buddhism, but uh, in Buddhism, they believe in after uh, they believe in reincarnation mm-hmm. right yeah. but that that's not the whole thing and um that there's these in between spaces in between mm-hmm. lives too uh called the bardo where you can actually travel to multiple dimensions different worlds um some worlds are hell realms mm-hmm. some are heaven realms some are animal realms and you can be reborn into these realms oh, also I didn't even know they had realms yeah well. yeah awesome. um so you don't just get born reborn into earth yeah like this is a very fortunate place to be to be born as a human being mm-hmm. um but you can be reborn into like the hungry ghost realm where you have distended stomachs and throats uh smaller than a, a straw so you can't ever get enough sustenance right oh, this wow. is the realm of addictions mm-hmm. things like that or you can be reborn into the animal realm where you only have basic survival instincts mm-hmm. and fear uh you can be reborn into the god realm and literally be a god for a little while uh you can be reborn into the demigod realm and be sort of in between human and god realm and be this interactive space between the two so kind of like angels right yeah. Uh, you can be reborn into all these different realms. And so, um, like, in Buddhist philosophy, we've all already been to heaven. We've all already been to hell. We've all lived thousands of lives in all these different places. And we're fortunate right now that we're born in human life because this is the the most fruitful place for learning, mm-hmm. is in the human life because we experience both suffering and and pleasure whereas in all the other ones like it's it's very one-sided yeah um and so buddhists would say that in this human realm um we should be practicing love towards others Mm -hmm. right um but that we we should also try and create heaven on earth yeah that the concept of heaven doesn't have to be some other place that we're going to yeah it doesn't have to be a destination but that we can have that here right now and we can do that simply by just changing our mindset Mm -hmm. um so the world around us might not be perfect yeah but we can still create a heaven up here you Mm -hmm. know we can create we can create whatever whatever we want man 
And uh, a big part of that is loving other people. Yeah. When you love other people, they love you back, and that's contributing to that heaven yeah. on earth. Making that peace. Right. You know, and, if you're angry and yeah. bitter and mean to everyone else, you're creating hell on earth for yourself yeah. because they're, other people are going to treat you that way back. Yeah. That's very true. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, like, first of all, like, if I get angry, I don't want to stay angry very long because it's a, it's a waste of energy. I think it's being angry. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's good to just let out your feelings, but I feel uh, when I get angry, I just get so consumed and tired from it. It feels toxic, yeah, man. I just, like, I, I'll get angry and it's, like, drained. And it's like, this is not how I want to live my life. I don't want to live an angry life. So if I get angry, it's like, okay, calm down, you know, and... And that's why, like, I think I'm a little bit pac- more patient than usual. Is because I don't want to reach that anger. It's like I don't want to be there. Mm. So, like, I'll be more understanding than quick to anger. Mm-hmm. And so, just to create that peace and be understanding, because sometimes like, people all, all they need is someone to understand what they're going through, and they still know how to show it. So they they show it through anger. So in psychology, we we learn that anger is a secondary emotion that um, it almost always follows uh, the primary emotion of hurt. Or feeling. Mm-hmm. So if you feel hurt in any way, if you feel physically hurt mm-hmm. um, and you don't know how to express like, oh, shit, you just pinched me that hurt, yeah. then you express it in anger, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if you're emotionally hurt, same thing. Yeah. You can't tell someone. If you're uh, spiritually hurt or mm-hmm. um, what – if you're hurt in any way, if, you're, if your ego is hurt yeah. or even if you get a threat of harm, um, we can respond in those ways too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, recognizing those and changing those patterns is super important too. Yeah. And I like that, you know, uh, creating that, that uh, the heaven in your mind. Yeah. You know, I, I definitely feel like it's just keeping that positive mentality, you know, because if you don't have it, then, you know, everything suffers. Everything you do suffers if you don't have that positive mentality. Yeah, you could be doing the same activity, and if you're in a bad mindset, it's going to suck. Yeah. And if you're in a good mindset, it's going to be awesome. I can go to jujitsu and have a positive mindset, and I roll and I learn a lot, or I can have a crappy mindset and, like, I'm tired, I don't want to do this, and then I don't learn anything. And people who, who are around me also suffer mm-hmm. because I'm not a good partner or I didn't give feedback or that kind of stuff. So it's just why not just keep that positive men- mentality to make it better for yourself and for others? Mm-hmm. And I feel like people forget that. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for sharing Christianity with me yeah, a little it's, bit. It's I mean, fun it's, to talk about. I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm fairly a Christian baby in a way because yeah. I haven't been a Christian for probably like four years. And like I said, when I was younger, it's, I didn't really learn anything besides just there's a God. Mm-hmm. So when part of your daily practice is that include prayer too? Yeah. Um, okay. So I, that's like, and that's a form of meditation yeah. in and of itself, very yeah. intentional and directed. But you do practice prayer, nice. Yeah. Um, and there's a, a thing I call it a constant prayer. I don't have to have my hands together, bowing down. I can just be talking to God in my head, mm-hmm. and just be thinking like, "Hey, I could use some extra help today, or you know, some strength, or Melanie needs some love today. Mm-hmm. You know, have someone in her life or in her day that can." Just be nice to her. Nice. kind of stuff. Um, it's just that, like, it's a positive mindset. And if I need help, I can always reach out to him. Okay. And there's a misconception, too, I think, about prayer that praying for yourself is somehow bad or selfish. Mm-hmm. But I think praying for yourself is a great thing mm-hmm. as long as it's done 
for the right <laughs> for reasons, reasons, right? Yeah. Uh, it can be selfish for sure. Mm-hmm. And then prayer for other people's is even like, uh, that's amplified, right? Yeah. So that's a, a selfless act of giving. It's also know? like an act of, you know, like showing love. Love. Because yeah. there's people that I, I, I could say I almost hate because they've hurt me in some way, but I know like, okay, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say hate. I can say extremely dislike, but I'm going to pray for them that mm-hmm. they see like, the decision they chose wasn't a good decision, and they see th- see that and help them see that kind of thing. Because I know that if I was to be that role, I probably wouldn't be the the best person to help them because of my attitude towards them. Mm-hmm. So it's like oh, I hope they find someone that can be that positive influence in their life, be it be Christian or not, just someone who can help them do good. Yeah, that kind of thing. So for you, daily practice is is a thing, and. That's good. Yeah. Um, Because you you go to church weekly too. But Mm -hmm. like I said, there's a difference between walking the walk and talking the talk. Mm -hmm. Um, You do less of the talking about (laughs) it and more of the walking, right? You're leading through action, less of the talking. And I think that's a good lesson for everybody that actions really do speak louder than words, especially when it comes to morals and values and like lead a good life. Lead a life that – if you had kids watching you all the time, and if, and if you have kids watching you all the time, they're watching you. Yeah, they're watching you. Exactly. I guarantee you, even yeah. when you don't think so, they're watching you. Yeah. So act as if there's someone watching all the time mm-hmm. that you value, that you respect. Yeah. And it just helps me with so much with, you know, like even like discipline. You know, one thing I, I, uh, I'll i do sometimes, but that's one thing I like to work on is like like what I what my mouth puts out. Mm. And... If you like, I don't, I don't cuss a lot, hardly ever. Yeah, me neither. Uh, <laughs> I try not to. Yeah, it's just for humor, uh, maybe. Yeah, for humor. Um, if I, if I if I'm angry, probably. If I if I get really hurt, probably. But in uh, just daily language, I, I try not to use it. And for I've had multiple bosses who like you don't cuss really, do you ever? I'm like, not really. And I work in a construction area mm-hmm. all the time where cussing is everywhere, right? And I heard someone cuss like three times in a row to show emphasis. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that was unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Because what if you never say those words and then all of a sudden you just drop an F-bomb. Someone knows like, oh, man, he really means it. like, Or he's really angry about it or whatever it is. So it's just that discipline, like, you know, even food. There's fasting, all that kind of stuff. There's ways to do discipline. But uh, I also love the reason for jiu-jitsu is that discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, like, well, he's, uh, he's making me uncomfortable. That person, it's like, well, I've been disciplined to, you know, and he, the opponent has been disciplined to make the person uh, not conform, like he says, like, don't conform to his body. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he's trying to make me hurt, but I know that through my, my conditioning and just being disciplined and all that kind of stuff, I can push, like, put, you know, keep going. And that's how I also use my religion. It's like, hey, I know it's hard now, but I have someone who's always looking for me, looking out for me. And has provided this family of, of brothers and sisters mm-hmm. who can I can out I can reach out to. Nice, help me. Yeah, the community is yeah. huge. It is very huge, and just I try to find community everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. like the the gym, right? It's it's people who are surrounded by almost every day of the week. It is everywhere if you just open yourself up. To yeah, it. like find community. Your coworkers. Yeah. You know, uh, I only have five coworkers really. Well, there's well, let's see. Like five, I think there's five people total, and I treat them as you know family because you just, you just treat them better, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And no one likes going to work with a mad coworker mm-hmm. or who's upset at you when you can just be like, "Hey, I'm sorry," 
you know, hey, I, I know I didn't work as hard yesterday, uh, but I will work hard today kind of thing. Just be open and like you should be. Yeah. Um, do you have like an extra 10 minutes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I want to ask you about, um, your video gaming. Okay. Okay. Cause this is a, <laughs> yeah. col- this is a culture that, um, I'm, I mean, I'm only mildly familiar with through my own experience. I think I played video games through regular Nintendo, Sega Genesis, <laughs> Super NES, uh, all great 64. Systems. All great systems, by the way. And then my brother got a PlayStation, and then uh, I think in uh, high school I stopped playing altogether. Okay. I haven't really played much since. Yeah. So I kind of like capped off my experience yeah. there. But I have uh, more experience as an addiction counselor and as a mental health provider, like working with um, addictions for video games. Yeah. So I see it from that perspective as well, uh, as well as like the dopamine serotonin rush that people get from it, mm-hmm. just like with social media. And then, um, Callie, she used to be big into video games too. Mm-hmm. Before we started hanging out, um, she used to be like a top ranked World of Warcraft team player yeah. in the world or something. It's crazy. She was telling me, and then she even knew when she saw my PC, she was like, what's in your rig? Right. And she just knew. I was like, oh, yeah, super games. nerd. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Like she's like super nerdy. Uh, really hot wife. Um, so, so I want to hear about um, video games for you, and um, like, wh- what do you do? I know you stream stuff. Like, uh, what games do you play? What What is okay. it about video games that that draws you in so much? Um, I'm a big story person. I love multiplayer games because you know you get the mm-hmm. uh, the uh, yeah your teammates and you get all that kind of stuff. Camaraderie, you get camaraderie, and it's pretty much hanging out just over the internet, right? Uh, <clears throat> I actually show who I am through a lot of video games when I play multiplayer video game. It's like how I how I act through it. But for me, my my favorite types of games are just story games because that's like it is reading a book for me. Just I'm part of it. I get mm. to see it's it. Like a choose your own adventure, yeah, exactly. And I know it sounds weird, but uh, horror is one of my favorite favorite um types of games mm. and they're like really like resident evil Re- i love resident evil i love that, I'm shit, not, that like, scared the shit out of me playing <laughs> it in the dark when i was yeah, a kid. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and it's just it's not the gore or anything it's literally just if i die i made i made a mistake uh-huh. you know it's not a horror movie i like horror movies too but i'd be like that person should have gone in that room right. that was stupid you know but in a game it's like i'm controlling the story mm-hmm. and um, but in the same time, as the story progresses, I learn more about the characters, I learn more about the plot. It's just, like I said, it's a, it's a book for me. And some people are like, well, you lose all the imagination in reading because usually when you read a book, you imagine all the characters, what they look like, what they do, how they do it. <clears throat> but in a sense, I'm when I play the game, I'm watching someone else's imagination, um, what they thought of, like the story. And I just love that about it. And when I stream, usually people like to see multiplayer because they like to see the skill in it. And that's okay. But if, you know, if I have, you know, five people hanging out with me in a stream, that's great because it, first of all, they see, they see me for who I am and they get to enjoy a story with me and I get to enjoy it with them and maybe share some laughs along the way. If I get, if I get a jump scare, that's hilarious <laughs> to me because nice. most games don't make me jump scare. They, they don't make me scared. And there's only a couple games that made me do that. And uh, it's, those are just memorable to do that kind of stuff. And you just gain bonds through people. <clears throat> because I see online gaming and the internet in general as extremely toxic places. Mm. Because 
you know, you can, there's bullying, you know, there's, there's, there's so many things that you can say to people. There's manipulation. Yeah. There's exactly and predators. You, out you there. don't see people's like, you know, you know, like the senses thing, you know, we don't see their facial reaction when they say things. You don't know if they have, you know, this some you don't even agenda. know if, if they are who they say they are. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I have some friends who, uh, who have come and go through gaming because, you know, like if I'm not playing for a whole month, they think I abandoned them without mm-hmm. just talking to me about it. Like, hey, I was actually going through a hard time this month, and when I came back, there was no one there for me. And I think when I expected the camaraderie again, mm-hmm. and so when I when I <clears throat> when I do stream, and even though it's you know hardly ever stream sometimes because I'm just playing a game and no one's in chat because I'm a brand new streamer. It's I still have that I'm still giving people that uh, ability to come in and be themselves. And still be loved, and you know, still be heard, and they won't find it toxic, like a place where I'm not going to cuss at them for doing something stupid or, or all, all that kind of stuff. Place where they're welcome. Exactly. And I know that you can play a video game, and I've I played a game called Dead by Daylight, where there's a killer and there's four survivors. And I like the survivor aspect of it because I'm being chased, I get the adrenaline rush from it, and killing is like a power, like. Position, I'm mm-hmm. like, eh, I really don't want that. I just want the adrenaline and escaping. Right, you get to fake kill people in yeah. jujitsu every day. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's boring. <laughs> um, so, for for me, you know, there's a lot of toxicity. Like, oh, this killer did this. I'm like, he's just playing the game. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all just playing the game. Sure, he did this, but who cares? That's one round out of whatever. And there's one game where I played a thousand hours in it. It's you can see the record a thousand hours called Rainbow Six Siege. And I had to stop playing because people were just it's so toxic. They're just they're calling you like you're stupid for missing your shots, you suck. And it's like I came here to have fun. And people ruin it. So it's like if I play with other people, I wanna be that person like, hey, I wanna play with him. I wanna play with Chris because he makes it more fun. Mm-hmm. Or I wanna watch Chris play the story game because he makes you know First of all, I can't afford to play the game, so I wanna see him play it or So that's why you started your own thing is so that you you created that space that you saw was much needed, mm-hmm. yeah. a place where everyone's welcome because yeah. you saw the toxicity. Yeah, and it's, I know it's like if I stream right now, maybe one or two people will pop in. But, but still, it, you're but, doing what Gandhi said. Yeah. You're being that change you <laughs> wish yeah. you saw in the yeah. world. It's just I want to I want to create a space where, if, like, say if I ever stream, like where I can I can do it like every day, and I get followers. You know, I want to like, have them be that safe spot where, like, hey, I want to watch Chris today because. He's made that space where I can be, I can just talk about my day and be heard and have, like, even if I can't read chat because there's so many people typing, that the, the other people in that group can be there for each other kind of, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we, that's what we need the most right now in this world. It's like someone there because people feel alone right now for no reason and they go to the, online and they end up getting in a worse position because. You know, someone catfished them or manipulated them for this, mm-hmm. or you know, I got left. You know, when I got left from friends because I, you know, uh, didn't see what's going on in my life. It's just being open with each other and not being toxic. Yeah. So. So for you, gaming is a big place for connection. Yeah, it's it's very big for me. Um, yeah, and I think so many people out there who are also gamers also get that camaraderie, that connection mm-hmm. from yeah. it. Um, 
you know, there is some science behind, you know, the chemical stuff that's going on in the brain that, you know, you get victories in video games and you mm-hmm. literally get a serotonin dopamine yeah. dump in your brain just like gambling, yeah. um, you know, just like sex, just like other drugs, and it feels great. It makes you want to mm-hmm. come back over and over, and video game developers know this, and they make yeah. it that way for a reason. Yeah. Um, they make fear-based games, scary mm-hmm. games, for that reason too. Yeah. That, you know, you want to fear that, or you want to feel that adrenaline, yeah. right? And that's a rush, yeah. right? And <laughs> so you keep coming back for more. Um, but I love how you, I again, I just love how you created. You saw a hole in humanity there. Mm-hmm. You saw a problem, and instead of just getting online and complaining about it, like we hear so many people yeah. do, you. You took some effort and you did what you could, mm-hmm. right? You might not yeah. be able to get online and change the whole culture, but you did yeah. what you could, mm-hmm. right? That's what I'm doing with this podcast. I'm not, inf- I'm not changing the world with as many listeners as other podcasters, but I'm doing what I can yeah. with what I have. And, you know, I have a, a good okay. friend, um, his stream actually, uh, any like half of his donations go towards a turtle found a fund- uh, foundation. That's awesome. Yeah. And he's like, if anyone could, st- if anyone can stream, they should. Because they have their own message to put out, and their own like if I were to if I had a stream and I can get a sub button, that would be I would take all my, you know, like half of my earnings or even more, and put it to a stroke foundation because like, mm-hmm. like I've been in, been through something that had to deal with strokes, and I know that other people in this world are dealing with that too. So it's just everyone has a mission they can do. It's just finding it and how they can do it. Right. And and even if I can't do it every day. You know, I can do it in my real life. I don't have to be, it doesn't have to be with people online. It could be with actually real people, <laughs> you know, and like you said, people forget that whole social thing. And, you know, Melanie's a very quiet person, but when you get to know her, she's like, man, wow. You know, she's, she's actually deep. You just don't know it because <laughs> you know, she doesn't like big groups. <laughs> but for me, it's like the opposite. Like if I'm in a big group, I can, I'll go out there and just. Right. You guys compliment each other. Well. Yeah. <laughs> she tells me, I always, uh. Like I remind her to speak up, and she reminds me to shut up. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's a good. Plan. Yeah. Um, so if people do want to check out your your stream, how can they find you? Um, it's let's see. So you have twitch.tv backslash Ryuzaki L12. Can you spell that? Yeah, for so all everyone. R Y U Z A K I as a capital L, then twelve. And that's and everyone just calls me Ryu. That's just one of my things. Uh, so Twitch dot uh, dot TV TV. And it's like a backslash and then the the username. Yeah, backslash and yep. then the username. Cool. So I'll put that also up on the description for the podcast for oh, people if they want to see that. Um, go check out Chris's uh, YouTube stream. It's YouTube, right? Yeah, it's, just, it's just Twitch. Oh, Twitch. Yeah, yeah. Go check. Screw YouTube. No, just kidding. <laughs> this is going up on YouTube. We love YouTube. But um, no, go to go check out uh, Chris's stream. Um, help support it, and and maybe he'll start that uh, the stroke support fund yeah. if if he starts getting donations. Yeah. That, that'd be awesome. If you hit the follow button, I, I get notifications about it. So the more people who follow me, I'll just know that I need to start streaming more because because uh, you know how the day goes. Uh, I'll wake up at six, go to work at seven, get off whenever that is. And then uh, maybe you have an hour to get ready for jujitsu. So afterwards, it's like, okay, do I play games or do I get some sleep? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, usually I play games, but I'm trying to get more sleep too. <laughs> so if I see the followers uh, racking up, then I'll probably start streaming some more just to to make that safe space happen. Yeah, for people, it's much needed. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Well, 
It's what I can do. And right. thank you for doing this show. Oh, I appreciate you having me. Dude, it was awesome. Yeah. It was a great time. We'll have you back on very soon. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, I'd love to be back on. All right, man. Uh, until next time, folks, um, this is Shane signing off with Conversations with the Mind. Enjoy yourself. Love each other and love yourself. Be good to each other. Wowie, wowie, wowie. That was an amazing podcast. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on the show. All right, folks. Um, Thanks again for tuning in. Make sure you go check out the YouTube page. That's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S. Got to make sure you get that hyphen in there um, or else, I don't know, you probably go to some weird random YouTube page, but you want to go to the cool spot, the award-winning spot, the spot where all the cool kids hang out, and that's MindOps, M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S YouTube page. Go check out the uh, content on there. Also go to the website, same thing, www.mind-ops.com. Check out all the services that you can take advantage of. Um, you can come to your location. You can come to our office in Old Town Fort Collins, and we can start helping you optimize your own mind and get, you know, help you get those uh, dreams and goals that you've always wanted to achieve. And also, you know, if you listen to the podcast, you know we just love to talk and, and listen as well and uh, help can help you guys put some of the pieces back together uh, for yourself if, if you're searching because oftentimes we find our world shattered when we find new information. So we got to figure out how to integrate it. So go check it out, mindops.com, uh, the YouTube page. Uh, thank you for listening, guys. Please donate. Please like and share and continue to listen, guys. That's the best way you can help us. Okay. I'm out, but here is uh, another very special um, song from the Arturo Complex. This one is a bit heavier than the one you heard in the beginning, but I hope you like it. See you next time, folks. Peace. Peace.